life moves pretty quick sometimes, Mark. You better, you know, you got to stop and look around, right? Ferris Bueller said it, and Rodrigo Blankenship, I think, found that out yesterday. I was a little surprised. Um, we talked the vast majority of the show yesterday, and I mentioned this to JMV last night when I was on with them, or yesterday afternoon, I should say. Look, it's not our job or our place to hope or wish for like the worst, you know, for anybody in terms of their job, their profession, their opportunity. But the handwriting was on the wall that things were not looking good for Blankenship just in terms of his stability or his job status. I did not, however, expect it to go that fast. It did seem like he was on, you know, shaky footing heading into even – the end of last season. Then you went through an entire off-season training camp, and he was your guy. So you're like, okay, they obviously trust him enough to have him be the starting kicker. And then one game later, and he's gone. So that evaluation process is pretty interesting. Uh, I was surprised as well that they ended up getting rid of him. I know that Frank Reich had mentioned following Sunday's game against the Texans that they were going to, he and Ballard were going to reevaluate it on Monday. Apparently they reevaluated it and said, you know what? We don't want to risk it the rest of the season. Let's go our separate ways. So Rodrigo Blankenship is out of a job at the moment, and they've brought in a couple other guys. And hopefully one of those guys is the season-long answer, but I I fear this could be a season-long turnstile for the kicking position for the Colts. Think so? I mean, I like McLaughlin. I don't know why he wasn't back originally, but um, if he's not your guy, I mean, you're really you're – really, going through the scrap heap at that point with kickers the other one that to me you know i was kind of curious why his name didn't come up more was badgley Mm -hmm. because they had him last year yeah Uh, you know i mean he was probably as consistent as chase mclaughlin right or or, is it mclaughlin or mclaughlin we probably don't even know for certain right Well, the other one i'm having trouble with is lucas haverisic Mm -hmm. is that how you say lucas yeah luke yeah his friends call him luke (laughs) That's right. He's Luke the kicker, right? Nothing better heading into week two than trying to learn the name of kickers. That's always exciting. Listen, this is life in the NFL. The Colts have been a unique franchise because for the most part, they have had stability at the quarterback and the kicking position. It's like the two areas that were just kind of understood that that things were in pretty good shape, but that's not the case for most in the NFL. Good morning to you on a hump day Wednesday. Jake Query here along with Mark Dykton. Sam Fritz running the big board for us. Kevin Bowen out on paternity leave until he will return to the program on Monday. And a lot to talk about this morning. Uh, and we have a couple of guests to do exactly that over the course of the show. Bob Kravitz from The Athletic who wrote an article about or a column about Rodrigo Blankenship that came out yesterday and then boom, th- this comes out. So as opposed to talking about what the Colts are going to do, now we talk about what the Colts do in terms of responding to the change they've made at the kicker position. Stephen Holder of ESPN will join us at 8 o'clock also this morning. Um, I remember from the kicker position, now I'm going to tell you a story in terms of change of kickers that I want you – Mark Dykton, after I tell you this story, to tell me whether it is conniving or brilliant, okay? Okay. In terms of kicking changes in the city of Indianapolis, years ago, I was a young guy trying to cut my teeth, if you will, in the world of broadcasting, and I was a behind-the-scenes guy at Channel 6. Ed Sorensen was the sports director. 
Dave first was the weekend guy, and I was just the hourly, you know, part-time timesheets guy working like two or three different jobs, but trying to get my foot in the door at Channel 6. I loved it, actually. And anything I could do, right? Mm-hmm. So I was basically the cut tape, mixed coffee, whatever needed to be done. And back then in those days, all of the local TV stations, Channel 6 had Sports Extra, Channel 8 had Sports Locker, Channel 13 had the Sports Jam. Everybody had their own sports overtime on Fox 59. Everybody had their own television show, Sunday nights, 40-minute sports programs that they did. And Kerry Blanchard was the kicker of the Colts. He'd been a popular kicker. He'd been successful two or three years. Really reliable, good kicker. And the Colts were just kind of starting to break through because they they had maybe just drafted Manning or right on the heels of drafting Manning or, you know, right on the, the excuse me, the forefront of when Manning was going to come here. But sure. at any rate, they, they cut Kerry Blanchard surprisingly in favor of Mike Vanderjet. So this might have been like the very early, like maybe after Manning's rookie year. And I'm working at Channel 6, and it was the Sunday. The cuts were the on a Sunday, so that night everybody's got their 40-minute sports show. And the big story, just like right now, was the Colts have made a kicking change, Carrie Blanchard out, and Blanchard a popular player, right? Mm-hmm. And Ed Sorensen is like, oh, my gosh. I have no access to Kerry Blanchard. Like, we don't know a phone number for him. We have no idea how to get a hold of him. We've got to try to get an interview with Kerry Blanchard because everybody in town is doing a 40-minute show tonight. This is our night. So back in those days, we would do satellite. You would literally call television stations and say, like, hey, can we can we get some videotape from you and do a satellite uplink or downlink from, you know, the TV stations in different cities? So... I called the Oklahoma City affiliate because Kerry Blanchard was from Oklahoma City and said, are you guys by any chance interviewing Kerry Blanchard? And if so, can we get some sound from you? And they said, well, no, but it's our understanding he's going in and doing an interview at one of the TV stations in Indianapolis. So I call that TV station, I'm not going to say which one, and said, hey, I'm with the Oklahoma City affiliate. My understanding is you guys are interviewing Kerry Blanchard tonight. Would I be able to set up a downlink to get some of the video from you? And they said, yeah, no problem. They think I'm from Oklahoma City. And I said, great. What time is he coming in to, to be interviewed by you? And they said, 7.30 tonight. He's coming in to do an interview. I said, no problem. I'll just call you at like 8 o'clock and set up to pick off the video on satellite from you. So I drove over to... The, the rival television station and waited in the parking lot. And as Carrie Blanchard got out of his car, I walked up and said, hey, I'm with the other TV station in town. When you're done with them, is there any way I can put you in my car and drive you over there and we can interview you? He goes, yeah, it's cool. Look at you go. So so he goes and does his interview, comes out. I knew he was going to be there because I had called that station and acted like I was with the rival or, or with the affiliate in a different market. He comes out, gets in the car. I put him in the car, drive him down to Channel 6, walk in, and he was live with us for 30 minutes on Channel 6. Now, did you do like a disguise of any kind? Did you want to like really get into character? I was so far off the radar that I don't think the rival TV station would have known that I was with Uh, Channel 6. I just meant a personal choice. Like, you just want to be like, this is like espionage (laughs) stuff. It kind of was. 
Now, is that conniving or is that no, you got to do what you got to do? Yeah, do what you got to do. I'm sure you got some big points now uh, with the boss. I did. I did. That is true. And in that capacity, I did reach out yesterday to Rodrigo Blankenship to see if he wanted to come on this morning. And I certainly understand he was very nice about it and just said, look, man, I, I think he was really up, disappointed. Yeah. Uh, understandably so, right? I mean, a young guy, great opportunity for him. This was his first NFL job. I do think he'll probably get a chance somewhere else just because there are so few people that can kick. Um, I think it'll be a little bit. No, no kicking injuries yet or anything. But I yeah, think but when I those mean, happen, I think that'll be a popular name that that comes up. You would think, right? Yeah. Um, at any rate, did you do anything fun last night? Anything exciting going on in the uh, household? Still organizing stuff for the house, putting stuff together, and and all this other stuff. So yeah, not not a very exciting day, but going about it. Can't figure can't figure out what this weather's doing. I'm like, I want to wear shorts, but what's well, supposed still to be warm today, right? Morning. Yeah. So yeah, still getting house stuff together, doing all that. I think our our light in our bathroom went out, so I might have to try to be a a fake electrician and figure that out. Don't want to electrocute myself, but the light went out, like it detached from the. Well, uh, they see that switch. You, know, you just go get a light bulb. Yeah, I, well, I I can do that. I can change the light bulb, but the actual switch, the wiring came undone from the back of the switch. I went to flick the switch. This is went, a new house, isn't it? Well, it's a new house. It's a new purchased house, but it's a it's a built in the sixties. Well, see now, me if if that kind of situation arose, uh-huh. I'd move. <laughs> well, that's how I would fix the lighting fixture. I just got done moving. I don't want to do it again. I know this, this will quickly. shock you, but I'm not necessarily what one would list as mechanically inclined. Neither am I. So the thought of having to grab some electric wires that did stand you take back. In, did you take industrial arts in school? I did not. No, we took industrial arts at Eastwood, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. Sixth grade, we made a bookshelf. Seventh grade, we made a candle holder. And eighth grade, we made a clock. Okay. And the candle holder part, you had to bend metal. I'll take the candle holder right now to light up the bathroom a little bit. <laughs> I think I paid somebody. Showering to in the dark. We this also morning. took home economics, and Mac Engel and I uh, paid. I'm pretty sure we paid Jody Welty to do our sample seam for us, like okay. on the sewing machine. Not real mechanically inclined. Hmm. Not real mechanically. Yeah. Inclined. So if you got an electrician or some opinions of how to do this, I'm all ears because I don't know what I'm doing. Yesterday, people were, you know, I did not expect. It's the kicker, right? And I, uh-huh. I mean that is no disrespect to kickers, but I didn't necessarily expect for that storyline to resonate with people like it did. Yeah, I mean, phone, line, it, it, phone lines were as jammed yesterday about Rodrigo Blankenship as they were on Monday to talk about the Colts' tie, which was surprising, I think, to both of us. I mean, like, people were fired up about it, right? Yeah, because I think it's one of those things where it's like, it's been a, even last season was shaky ground, and then you go into this season and, you know, the demons are still there. So you're like, we're great, we're heading into, you know, a ratcheted up, environment in jacksonville on sunday god forbid if another kick came down to it uh where you're going to trust him to go out there and be able to get the job done so i think people are obviously on edge and uh the colts were as well obviously because they made the they made the pick i think the big thing that really hurt rodrigo blankenship when it came down to it was the fact that you know when he came in the storyline on him or the narrative the the scouting report the book whatever you want to call it was that he did not have great range, but within a certain range, he was absolutely, you know, just a surefire thing. And once that started to go away, 
even just with extra points and everything else, it was just I think people just started to think to themselves like this guy doesn't appear to have the leg of a professional kicker. In term, again, to me, the biggest thing being undoubtedly just range. Yeah. Well, and having the but physical once his mid range started to go away, then then you know you had an issue, right? And having the physical skills is just as important as having the mental skills of being a kicker. Because say you miss a kick, you got to be able to just wipe that out, wipe the slate clean, and be able to go out there and do it again. And uh, I don't know if he had a case of the yips or whatever, but I mean, kicking they say it all the time. There's no bigger pressure than when you're lining up for a kick, and it's the difference between a win and a loss, and that kind of falls on your shoulders. And whether or not he could handle that burden. Obviously, the Colts didn't think he could going forward, so that's why they're moving on. I mean, he missed an extra one. point last year, right? He missed three field goals. He missed five of them in his rookie year. And then this year, just getting off to that slow start. I just think once, especially from an extra point standpoint, when you miss an extra point last year, then you're like, wait a minute. That's the area where he was to be an automatic, right? Yeah. It's kind of like if Steve Alford as an NBA player had all of a sudden start his his free throw percentage dropped. It's like, well, what's the that's the one thing that he's supposed to be the automatic on, right? Yeah. I mean, he had, I think I think – his stats in Georgia, he's a perfect 200 for 200 on extra points. So that was never an issue That's going back I mean. to college. So then, yeah, obviously the, the short, transition. To use a golf term, the short-range game was there. Speaking of golf, did you see the Live Golf story? That they're going to be paying out $50 million in their final final match? $50 million. Yeah. I know Kevin isn't a fan, but I, 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 it's hard to turn down $50 million. I mean, the, the big thing, and I remember when it first came out, we discussed this can it survive without a big time tv contract and i don't think they still have yet to they still have yet am i correct in saying and landing that and i know that people are like yeah there's no tv deal yet right and i mean granted the nfl you know well the nfl's on amazon prime on thursday nights i get it but there still is primary network television backing and funding that I still don't know. Like, I know they're playing in Chicago this weekend. I only know because I heard it locally on a uh, station that they're they're having an event there. But otherwise, I saw the first event on YouTube whenever that was months ago, and I haven't seen one since. So I know obviously they don't have the the uh, you know the broadcast funds and everything like that. They they don't have the promotions as well. But I mean, they're still doing they're still selling out tickets. And I don't. But doesn't it feel attending. like it has kind of slow down a little bit in terms of the conversation about it it I has mean, but i think also the addition of like dustin johnson cameron smith that'll that piques interest because those are highly ranked golfers and popular golfers so if they're playing an event locally hey you might be like oh it doesn't line up with my my views or whatever but you know what i'd like to go see dj hit 18 holes here's another question for you if aaron judge gets to 62 home runs is that a big deal? Because even though it's been so, you got to go back twenty five years ago. I realize it's twenty four technically. The summer of ninety eight, when Maris is being chased by Sosa and McGuire, and at that time it was one of the most hallowed, revered records in sports: sixty one home runs in a season. And it had been flirted with a few times. King Griffey Jr. The summer of ninety four, people thought he was going to do it. They went on strike. For those that don't, you know, Major League Baseball is at a very interesting time here because attendance is waning, interest levels are down, but you do have some interesting storylines from an individual standpoint. Albert Pujols going for 700, and Aaron Judge now of the New York Yankees sitting at, I think, 57 home runs. 
the the mark of 62, Roger Maris's record has been shattered. I mean, Barry Bonds far surpassed it. Obviously, McGuire and Sosa in the same season surpassed it. Sosa did it a couple of times. I think McGuire did it a couple of times. You know, 70 became the benchmark, but does Aaron Judge flirting with it mean anything or does it resonate again and does Roger Maris's mark again become relevant because it's a New York Yankee? I was going to say, locally, because he's a Yankee, I think it has more significance than Sosa, McGuire, or anything like that, or Barry Bonds. Nationally, I'm not so sure. I think there probably is more attention on Albert Pujols getting a 700. But, I mean, it's still an amazing feat by Aaron Judge if he gets to it and everything. But I don't know if nationally it's going to have the same resonance. I mean, I saw last night, for example, somebody sent out a picture. It was a beautiful night in Toronto, right? Usually is. Toronto's a beautiful city. And Skydome, they had the, or I think it's called the Rogers Center now. They had the roof open which is not common in their stadium. And it was a beautiful night, and you could see the CN Tower in the background, and there were like 15,000 people at their game, yeah. right? And so, and I'm looking to see, I, I mean, look, the Blue Jays are six games out of first, right? I mean, they're right there. You know, they're, they're going to be a playoff team, and no one's showing up. And they got a good young team, too. They got a bunch of interesting, fun players, so their attendance is confusing. I, but can you... Like, can you name for me, Mark? I'm going to put you on the spot. Can you name for me the the National League will go? Can you tell me the wild card teams right now in the National League if the playoffs were to start today? I'm going to assume the Braves are in the mix. The Correct. The Braves would be the first wild card. The Brewers... Uh, the Brewers will be on the outside looking in. They are two games behind the Padres for this. Okay, give me the uh, – let me see. Are the Pod- Yeah, I was going to say, are the Padres still in it? The Padres would be the fifth team? The Padres are just ahead of Milwaukee, so you're missing one. Jeez. All right. Um, the Mets. The Mets are leading their division. The point taken here, right, because you're a baseball fan. Yeah. I mean, it's the Phillies. Yeah, I mean, I've, I, it doesn't I, help that my Cubs have been. I mean, you know, in the American League, like, okay, season. I'll put it to you this way: I'm going to name to you two teams. One is in playoff contention, and one has absolutely zero chance. You tell me which one's which. You ready? Okay. Uh, Los Angeles Angels, Seattle Mariners. The Angels have no chance. Correct. That's always that's been the, the that's Mariners. A, that's a year long thing. Every year, the Angels are have all this talent and they can't put it together. Or the Red Sox have the Red Sox are like way out. Uh, most they're in the bottom put, of the division. I the know Orioles most are people would them. consider cute the, fellow as a cute, cute fella. Excuse me. Apologies. <laughs> I saw the anger in your eyes. <laughs> it's the cute fella. The Orioles bird on the he's literally he's saying hey, just root for me. He's a cute fella, isn't he? Yeah, he's not too bad. And his name is the Oriole Bird, the worst name for a mascot of all time. It kind of kind the NFL version is whatever the Browns are doing at midfield. Do you see that? Yeah, the elf. Brownie the elf. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Very popular figure in the '60s. Magical. Yeah. yeah. So they're on the 50-yard line now. He kind of looks like he should be in cereals or something, right? Uh, yeah, he probably make, has there friends a, that are in the cookie. If business. I'm not mistaken, there is some. Ba- I mean, obviously, there is some story of origin on the on why the elf has become a big thing for the Browns. But I had a I have a buddy, not had, he's still living. I have a buddy who is a diehard Cleveland Browns fan. 
Asari. I know. And and was unaware of the elf. Oh, really? I'm like, I, yeah. Hmm. Like how, how I mean, could, I'd heard of it. I hadn't seen it, obviously, in a long time. So when I saw their debut, I was like, that's kind of cool. Nice little throwback. But on the field, though? Yeah, but here's I think the that's thing, though. Cool. This is, this is what, the what problem. What are the Browns putting at the 50-yard line the, otherwise? See, that's They've the got problem. the worst helmets in sports. Just, just a helmet, right? Yeah. I kind of miss the days when the helmet, when the the middle of the field was just a helmet. It always bothered me that the the Browns helmet was orange. <laughs> it it is a little odd. Yes, doesn't make sense. <laughs> well, it does when you when you realize that they're named for a guy, not a color. I know, right? but when you're called the Cleveland Browns, and when you're a kid, you're like, well, that's orange. I mean, I'm no math whiz, but my Crayola box says that's me, burnt sienna. You know what I've always wondered? Yeah. How do we know that your orange isn't my brown? I don't know. I guess, yeah, if you're colorblind or if you've got well, some not, issues. Well, not colorblind, but you are told when you are a kid, you are shown a color. Mm-hmm. You're shown yellow. And they say to you, Mark, this is yellow. And so your brain says, that is yellow. I'm shown blue, and they're, and I'm told this is blue. Well, what if my eye processes my blue as your yellow and vice versa? We would never know the difference because no one but you knows how you're seeing that. That's a good point. Jake, did you go back to school for a psychology degree? I did not, but that's an excellent question, is it not? These are the things that keep me awake at night. You know the other thing that I thought about last night, Mark, when I couldn't what? sleep because I'm that? an insomniac? If you were to have a list of every animal, every species known to man on Earth, okay? Yeah. The smartest would be the greatest intellectual capacity would be human. What's what's just under human? Probably dolphin. That's what they tell us. So if, at the very bottom, if you have something that has no thought but rather rather is instinctive, a mosquito, for example, whatever. So if you move your way up the chart, what, what is the what is the crossing line? What two species are the crossing line between one that has independent thought and one that strictly moves instinctively do we know that i don't know you see what i'm saying yeah like a hawk flying around is a hawk flying around when you see it fly is it saying to itself like you know i'm kind of hungry but like i don't know man it's a nice day i don't think i'm just gonna fly around for a little bit and like oh i've never seen that lake before does the hawk think that or is it just like an instinctive movement that it has no actual intellect it's just instinctively looking for like a rodent these are deeper questions than I expected See, to get at 7.22 in the morning So on let's Wednesday. get back to talking about the Colts and their kicking situation, which we will do coming up in just a little bit. Again, Stephen Holder going to join us at 8 o'clock. Bob Kravitz at 8.30. Morning check down next. You are listening to Kevin and Query on a Wednesday morning. Good morning to you. 93.5107.5 The Fan. We were just discussing Major League Baseball before the break. Yesterday, the Reds, no surprise, swept by the Pirates, 6-1-1 love in Major League Baseball. It was the Cubs over the Mets, 4-1. Brewers doubling up the Cardinals, 8-4. Albert Pujols did not hit a home run. He is still at 6-97. Elsewhere, Dodgers win, so too did the Braves. Cute fella defeating the Washington Nationals, Indianapolis Indians on the short end, 9-1 against the Toledo Mudhens. Big news locally is the Colts saying goodbye to kicker Rodrigo Blankenship. They will, they've brought in a couple kickers since. We'll see if either of those land. Uh, special teams coordinator Bubba Ventrone talked about kicking with a short-term memory. You know, I always tell our players, you know, and the specialists that, you know, when you make a mistake, you know, 
it's it's okay. Like everyone's expected to make a mistake. You're not, no one's perfect. You're going to, you're going to have ups and downs in a game and things like that. It's how fast can you respond? How fast can you self-correct it? And that it doesn't lead to, you know, being an issue. So I think that, you know, obviously you miss it, you miss a kick or you have a miss hit ball. It's how you respond to it. So I think, you know, there can definitely be some improvement there in that end. Um, just got to correct it faster and not let it compound. So the Colts will turn to Chase McLaughlin and Lucas Havarisic as kicking options. <laughs> I think we love that's saying a, that. Don't that's you? the name we're going with. I do like that last name. Actually, it seems fun. I, I think we just call him Havrisk. Yeah, like if you if you roll a kicker out there, you you always have risk, right? There you go. That's not too bad. So we'll see if either of those guys land. I'm assuming one of those will be kicking on Sunday when they take on the Jaguars in Jacksonville. Hopefully, they're a season long solution and this isn't a revolving door. By the way, did you realize I did not? Hang on. Sam, go ahead. That means new sport, new, new topic. <laughs> I, I didn't did, get the point. Did you realize I did not <laughs> that um, two weeks from yesterday is the start of Pacers training camp? I only know that because I saw Alex Golden's tweet about it, and I was like, that's wild to me. The season's that close. See, I'm, I'm, so I'm like Judge Reinhold. <laughs> In Seinfeld, as I mentioned yesterday, with my Australian friends, are coming into town. You're not a close talker, though. No, but I, I'm thinking about hawking my wristwatch. It could have been one more trip to the museum. I, I so my Australian friends, Michael and more. Marcus. That's right. They, I met them at a Pacer game like two and a half, whatever years ago, right before COVID. They came all the way from Melbourne, Australia, because they're Pacer fans, just to go to a Pacer game. They were sitting behind me. I noticed the accent. They were here for a week. We ended up hanging out the whole week together. Uh, became Michael and I literally talk every day on text, obviously. He's in Melbourne, Australia. He is a diehard, diehard, diehard Pacer fan. He has to come to Toronto for a wedding, not necessarily convenient, but he loves the city of Indianapolis because of the Pacers. So he and his son Marcus and Daniela are coming to a, to Indy for two days before they go to Toronto. So I'm, like, showing them around again, right? Uh-huh. And one of the things that, you know, you got to do an episode around the Pacers because that's the entire connection for them to the city of Indianapolis. And I told Michael, I said, you have at your disposal now the greatest tour guide in the history of the city of Indianapolis, right? Like people would pay at charity auction for a day of me showing them around the city of Indianapolis. I can show you, you, okay. you want to know where murders happened, you know, key crimes. I mean, Marjorie Jackson's home. You name this it. This is like where I, I swindled the kicker from the Colts <laughs> from that TV station. That's right. I So I'm showing them around, but I was trying to set up something involving the Pacers for them. Uh-huh. And it was like, well, I, you know, training camp starts on that Tuesday. They come in on Monday. Now, I do think that because Michael had said, and, you know, we got to clear this with the bosses, but I think on one of the days, Michael and Marcus, not on microphone, but they're going to pop in here. Uh, to watch like the last 15 minutes of the show and to bring you Vegemite toast. Hey, I mean, I'll choke it down again. I did it once. You were not a fan, were you? But I did it better than Kevin did. I mean, I, I took but a I whole think, piece don't of you toast think, and put it in my mouth. Don't you mouth. think if we have a true Australian make, preparing it, although I don't know that we the station was sold, do we still have a toaster here? We do. Was that part of the sale? It might have been. I don't know. <laughs> might have Part of the trade. fire sale? Yeah. Uh, anyway, this toaster for a printer. Two weeks know. from yesterday, Pacers training camp underway. All right, a lot to talk about with the Colts, including a change that we discussed. We'll go further into that now in terms of where they go at the kicking position. That conversation is next. Kevin Aquari on a Wednesday, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. 
You're listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. So what we know, Mark, is it is Lucas Haversek. Haversek, according to Matt Taylor. Thank you, Matt Taylor, for shooting me a text. Lucas Haversek. Yes. He is one of those that is basically auditioning, trying out, getting reps to become the new kicker of the Indianapolis Colts. And this is the reality of life in the NFL for most franchises. It is unique. Listen, I, if you get a good kicker, I, you know, and, and you can ride him for years, that's a great thing. But more often than not, kicker is one of those positions that kind of goes by rotation. This is more the norm than not. Same with the quarterback position. I mean, the Colts have entered into an area with when it comes to the kicking position that or the quarterback position, excuse me, that most people, most franchises have. But the, you know, in Indianapolis, people we were same guy for fifteen years. Would you like to guess where Haversick is from? What what school he attended? Well, I know his college. Okay. Well, you've taken the fun out of that one. He's an Arizona Wildcat. Who doesn't know that? It's a household. <laughs> Everybody should knowledge. know. It should be on the pop quiz. That's right. But he was basically the long kick specialist for Arizona, right? Correct. Yeah, so, he's, got, he's got no NFL experience from what I can tell, according to his his bio and his stats. So he is fresh out of college, which does that give the edge to McLaughlin then? Because he's been obviously an NFL kicker previously. And he's had some prior experience with the Colts. I, one would think that, listen, familiarity, I mean, is a tiebreaker, one would assume. It's interesting because to me, His it looks as though. He still works. Ah, let's not get too aggressive here, right? <laughs> I mean, but to me, the Colts have gone from reliability in the layups. Blankenship. Well, with Rodrigo Blankenship, what you had was a kicker that by brand. I'm not saying that this is how it, it always played out. But the word on him coming in, you know, super reliable on the layup kicks, the extra points, and the chip shot field goals. It was an automatic. Some, let's say, 35 in, 40 in maybe. I think the Colts figured out that what you need is a guy that shortens the field for you late in games. And in addition to that, with the extra point move back now in the NFL, that's also not a given. So I think that they decided to compromise accuracy. And by accuracy, I mean not going wide left, wide right all the time for power. And they want now a guy that, you know what, we we want a guy that we know has an explosion off his foot that at least 54 to 56 is an option when it comes down to it. Sure, it might only be a 60% proposition, but that's better than a guy that you know is probably a, a 0 to 20%. I, again, not a knock on Rodrigo Blankenship in terms of his ability to kick a football other than just the consistency of power and distance with which he can kick it. So now you got a guy, you know, whether or not it's Haversick? Haversick. Haversick. Yep. You sure it's not sick? 
Um, not the way Matt Taylor said <laughs> Lucas Haversick. So you have a guy in Haversick or or McLaughlin. Now, did we find out if it's McLaughlin or McLaughlin? I think it's McLaughlin. McLaughlin. That was a mistake on my end. Chase I see and Lucas. laugh and we I got, see Laughlin. We got Chase and Lucas, right? Yes. But either way, clearly they are looking at guys that give you range. And that's what they're looking – that's what they want. They want to improve – and I think a part of that is, to be honest with you, when you look at the Colts' offense, and I think they, they were aware of this, in a two-minute drill, when you're taking over at your own 10-yard line, and you've got Jonathan Taylor, but if but you're, the Colts, here's the thing. In late-game situations, clock running down, you got the ball back, you're down two. You got 48 seconds left. The Colts' best ability to move the football is the one that doesn't stop the clock. So when you get into a situation where you've got to go to the air to move the football because the clock is not on your side, they have one weapon. One. So they have to play with a much longer field than most teams or did because they had to go further to get into field goal range. And I think they look at it and they say, we can roll with the Blankenship if we know that we have an offense and a structure that can safely get us every time within the 30-yard line. But as it stands right now, our two best options to move the football in chunks are get it to Jonathan Taylor in space or Naeem Hines in space in the middle of the field or throw it out to Michael Pittman. Outside of that, what do you have? The problem with those first two is if you're out of timeouts, you're in trouble. Because then you got to come down, you got to set up. You, I mean, it's just not likely. So the Colts limit in terms of their offensive versatility necessitates a kicking move that may not have had to have take place if it weren't for those exact reasons. Ray has been waiting patiently to talk about exactly this. Hi, Ray. Good morning to you. Hey, good morning. What's up, Ray? Not bad. What's Not up? Much. Just sitting outside the job. Hey, I, I wanted to uh, comment on two things. Um, I'm, I'm into a new series on Hulu, and I don't know if you know, but Phil Jackson and Jeannie Buss dated. I found that to be interesting. Oh, yeah. You didn't know that? Oh, yeah. No. no that, Ray, that, I'm going to give you a spoiler, wild. too. Jeannie Buss was also in Playboy. Oh, oh, I, oh, I passed that episode. I'm, I'm about <laughs> to that part you knew, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, I, I made sure I knew that. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> but I, I, you made an interesting point. You said Rodrigo, um, he – he kind of lost his field, and I, and I kind of thought that was um, similar to what Russell Westbrook is. He, he was a someone that can take it to the rim, but once he lost, he lost his value. And I think that that's kind of what what the kicker is. He, he lost his value once he stopped being able to hit from forty. I know he was a little shaky from fifty, but but God, once he once he stopped hitting from forty. Well, that's the thing. He Listen, to me, Ray, to use the basketball analogy that you started with, I, and I said this yesterday, it's like Richard Hamilton with the Pistons. Richard Hamilton's one of the great mid-range jump shooters of all time in the NBA, right? Rip Hamilton. But once that went – and Rip Hamilton, you knew, 
probably wasn't a step back from 28 or 30 kind of guy, but he was automatic and you ran offensive plays through him automatically where he's coming off the wing or the elbow and he's going to hit it, right? As soon as that, if that had gone away for Rip Hamilton, then all of a sudden you got to take a long, hard look at replacing him because, you know, hey, I know he's not going to be a consistent three-point shooter for me, but he is deadly from 16 to 18. And I never went away from Rip Hamilton, and that's why he's a great, you know, Hall of Fame-level player. But with Blankenship, exactly that, right? You take away that mid-range game, and then suddenly what he brings to the table, that level of security isn't there. That's not a knock on him so much as maybe even the Colts' offense that they had to be reliant on a kicker that could do more than that. Hey, Bill, what's up? Hey, you guys are up, man. I I uh, uh, wish uh, uh, Blankenship well. I hope he gets uh, picked up by another team. Hopefully in our division we play him and he misses another kick. <laughs> but, uh, wow. Most, might be the most backhanded. Wow. See you later. That's right. But uh, you mentioned Kerry Blanchard. And the one thing I always remembered about Kerry Blanchard in the 1995-96 Colts season where the Colts ends up losing – to Pittsburgh in the AFC Championship and the somewhat controversial Aaron Bailey reception in the end zone. Um, the Colts would have never, ever got to the playoffs if Kerry Blanchard wouldn't have hit a field goal against the New England Patriots in the, uh, with time running out in the fourth quarter, and the score was 7-7, seven to seven, and he stepped up and drilled a 48-yarder. So if he misses that kick, then the rest of that magical playoff run doesn't even exist. I, that's Bill, I think people forget how like that team – kind of backpedaled and fell its way into I mean they get they got hot I mean don't get me wrong but I'm saying like it wasn't that was a team that no one it was on no one's radar right and then to show the importance of kicking Bill if you recall they went to Kansas City that year in the Chiefs I still remember that the Bob Lamey call you know the, the Chiefs the mighty Chiefs and in Kansas City Lynn Elliott misses like I think it was two field goals maybe even three in that game and Indianapolis advances in like a sub-zero Arrowhead Stadium because of kicking. I mean, listen, kickers in a – I realize that we can sit here and you look at it and you go, it's two weeks in. Why are we talking about the kicker? This is why. I mean, those are two examples right there of how a season can can pendle them based on the kicker. And if the Colts were concerned about distance with Rodrigo Blankenship, uh, McLaughlin and Havrasek, they have the distance. Both have long career longs of 57 yards. Uh, McLaughlin last season was a perfect four for four from 50 yards for the Cleveland Browns. Haversick was, where did it go? He was nine for 14, again, a long of 57. So um, they have the distance, they have the legs. So if that's what they're looking for, for distance and accuracy, they've got two guys in the building now. We'll see who wins out in that Well, the other thing they can do, to be honest with you, they got the two guys so they can fluctuate it. I mean, to be honest, you know, they can – well, they carry both of them, one on the practice squad, one well, on the, main the roster. practice squad. That's what I mean. Yeah. So yes, I I think in that regard, they can, they've got some flexibility there because you know it's just like the, the final offensive line position. How often do we see week to week one guy's elevated, one guy's brought down, one guy's elevated? I I can't imagine from a kicking standpoint that's the way you do it because you probably want to ride the horse that's hot. And that's probably what they'll do, right? You take one of them, you ride it out, you see what happens, you take your chances. All right, Connor is on the line. Connor, what's going on this morning? Hey, guys. Hey, guys, appreciate the the phone call here. Uh, I'm just going to paint a scenario, ask you a question as to what you would do, um, and then what you think Frank might do. Um, so Vegas right now has us, I think, at a 4.5 is what I saw recently, 4.5 favorite. I think it's a little too high. 
Um, I think it's probably going to be right around that three-point range. Um, so under a minute, timeout left, maybe two. You're within the 30-yard line, fourth and two, fourth and three. Would you run it, um, knowing the kick situation is kind of a little iffy right now? Or would you indeed, you know, rely on that kicker that we just signed? Um, so what would you do, and then what do you think Frank would do in that situation? Well, first off, if I'm Frank Reich, I'm paying zero attention to the Vegas line, right? Uh, I just want to get a win. Listen, if if I've got time to get the ball as close as possible, I'm going to do it. Um, and But I think the reality is, Connor, that Chris Ballard wants to put Frank Reich in a position where he can trust that the guy that he's going to roll out there is a viable option from 45 to 54 yards. Yeah, I don't think you can play scared just from Blankenship's past struggles or anything like that. You've got to keep going with the kicker and go from there. All right, one more. Ty, we'll squeeze you in. What's up? Ty, you there? All right. Ty said he was on his way to work and didn't have much time. I tried to get him in. I tried to. Okay. Uh, Stephen Holder going to join us, right? Stephen Holder next, followed by Bob Kravitz. So we'll talk with Stephen Holder next of ESPN. It's Kevin and Query, 93.5-1075, The Fan. It's Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. It is a Wednesday morning. What song is this, Mark? Gorillas, Clint Eastwood. You know, the Gorillas is Pittsburgh State. Oh, yeah, that's true. My man Dallas Flowers, a Pittsburgh State gorilla. Uh, Wednesday morning, sun's starting to pop out. Jake Query here along with Mark Dykton, Sam Fritz on the big board, Kevin Bowen back on Monday. Joining us now on the Payless Liquors guest line, he is the NFL writer focusing on the Colts for ESPN, talking about Stephen Holder. Stephen... he he just dropped. I'm gonna have to give him another phone call, but he's no okay. longer on the line. Okay. Um, one he's of the not things a big gorillas wanna... fan, I guess. Yeah, that's right. One of the things I'd like to ask Stephen uh, that we'll get to right off the top is, and somebody just brought it up to us. It's it's a fair point, Mark. I don't anticipate this being the case, but now that they have two kickers, one practice squad, one active, we don't know which one's going to be which just yet. Um, but the real question that I think is of interest is because of the fact that, like with Blankenship, you know, he struggled on the kickoffs. Then you have the the other duty that comes with kicker. Do they? And I'll ask Stephen Holder this right off the bat. Stephen, with the Colts deciding to sign not one but two guys to the practice squad for kicking, and one of them will be elevated for their game in Jacksonville, any chance that they use one as a kickoff specialist and one as – uh, their field goal kicker at all, or whoever gets the job, I'm assuming, is going to have to do both duties. Your thoughts? Uh, I think it's more likely that, that one guy will do both, but I, I honestly hadn't considered that possibility. I, I mean, they do have that option. Well, they did it with Danny Kite. I mean, we're going way back, but there was mm-hmm. a time where the Colts carried on the roster – a guy specifically for kickoffs, and that's all he did. Got to be the greatest gig in the history of sports, but that was his job, was kickoffs only. Um, this, I, to me, and I'm going to pat myself on the back again, which I'm really good at, but this, Stephen, look, I don't pretend by any stretch of the imagination that it's Shaquille Leonard ramification, but this again goes to show, I think, the subtle importances of Rigoberto Sanchez and what he brought to the table. Oh, I, I said it from the beginning. I agree with you. I, I think people really underestimated his value to this team. And a lot of times 
you know, what we do as fans is we look at numbers. And if you look at Rigoberto Sanchez's numbers, they're just kind of middling. Or just, I shouldn't say middling. They're, they're, they're probably upper third, but nothing elite. But it's not about the numbers. It's about what they ask him to do. He, he punts directionally and pins opponents so they can't get returns. And on kickoffs, uh, so special teams coordinator Bubba Ventrone talked about this yesterday. He talked about how they ask him, depending on the circumstances, to do different things uh, with his kickoffs. He can, he can get hang time. He can directionally kick it. He can kick it out of, excuse me, kick it out of the end zone for a touchback. I mean, he, he can basically do whatever they need on command. And so to your original point about whether they could maybe use one kicker to kick off and one uh, for field goals, if it prevents them from kicking two kickoffs out of bounds, then I'm all for it. I just don't think they have the roster luxury to be able to carry two kickers to have to do that. I just I don't think. I'm just, yeah, just hypothetically, though. Like, <laughs> if that's what it takes, maybe consider it. No, oh, I hear I, you. I'm with you, though. But I think it's very unlikely, though, just based on roster limits. Though. So do you believe Chase McLaughlin or Lucas Havrasek will be the season-long solution, or is this going to be a revolving door at the position all season? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I think they'll have to just sort of play it by ear. You know, if if it goes well, you stick with it. If it doesn't, then you have to consider other options. Uh, but I honestly think that it's it's unfortunate that that we're even having this conversation because this is not a surprise. I'm sorry. I I think that anyone who has, I mean, certainly I have definitely said it on this show, and I'm not the only one. And and anyone who has been outraged about the way the Colts or at least concerned about the way the Colts have handled wide receiver. If you had concerns about that, then you sure as hell should have had concerns about, about the kicking situation because there's much more reason and much more history of uneven performance at that spot than these wide receivers who many of whom we haven't seen play that much. So this is, you know, we'll have to see the jury's still out on those guys, right? Well, the kicking situation. I don't think the jury was out. I think we've seen it and the Colts, left him on the sidelines last year. So they had spoken after that hip injury healed. So I, I'm just flabbergasted that it took this long. Yeah, so what does that say about the evaluation process for Frank Reich and Chris Ballard? Because you knew this was an issue last season. You went through an entire offseason and a training camp, and you didn't address it. And now one game into the season, you're swapping out kickers. Yeah, I mean, they did bring in, obviously, some competition with Jake Verity. But, I mean, that wasn't a serious kicking competition. <laughs> I mean, I saw it. It was, it was a joke. And so it didn't tell me anything. It didn't make me feel better about Rigo, excuse me, about Rodrigo Blankenship. I just, it just told me that Jake Verity wasn't good enough. <laughs> so I don't think it, it, I don't think I learned anything about Blankenship through that process. I, so to the question, what does it say about their evaluation? Uh, they have had uh, some stubbornness at kicker in the past. It, certainly we saw this with Adam Vinatieri in 2019 uh, that lingered way too long. I actually think that cost them multiple games. I love Adam. Everybody loves Adam. He's going to wear a gold jacket one day, but it killed them. There's no question about it. It absolutely killed them. And I, I went back and looked at this yesterday. Adam Vinatieri's struggles began in week two, and he had the knee injury, so it's not like he forgot how to kick, but he, but he couldn't get the job done regardless of why. Started in week two, I believe, at Tennessee, he kept kicking until, I believe, week 12. So, you know, we've been down this road before. At least in this instance, 
they were swifter to act. So I'll give them that, I guess. So that leads to this question, Stephen. If the Colts had not been burnt by sticking to with Adam Vinatieri too long, is Rodrigo Blankenship still their kicker? Um, maybe. I mean, I think Adam Vinatieri, uh, Adam Vinatieri was uh, – never mind. I see where you're going with the question. I, I, I think that it probably did play a role. I see what you're saying. Yes. Now, I think it plays some role. The other thing that I wonder about, and I realize – Stephen Holder, by the way, from ESPN – dot com is our guest I, I realize that kicker is a position that is kind of one of those like luxury positions you know what i mean it's like it's like renewing your license plate tags you you know that that mm-hmm. bill is eventually going to be out there and then like it comes and you pay it and you're like you know what I, I i won't even think about that for another 10 months i've got other stuff i got to deal with and that's kind of what i would assume in building a roster the kicker position is but that said when you talked about the quote-unquote kicking competition in camp the reality is they just brought in two guys. Like, if they really wanted to do a kicking competition for Blankenship, why didn't they bring in somebody that was a legitimate guy like one of these two that's now on the roster, practice squad granted? Why were they not brought in earlier? Why did they not have a legitimate competition earlier than when they did? Because to Mark's point, didn't everybody see this as a possibility? I don't know the answer. I, I, I think the one possible answer, this is what I think, if you ask me, and you are, I think they wanted to believe in Blankenship. They just really wanted to believe. And let's go back now. He, in 2000, um, in 2000, he had, excuse me, 2020, excuse me. I don't know what year it is. In 2020, he had a very impressive rookie season. I mean, he looked like a very viable kicker. I was always concerned about his leg strength. I didn't right. think he ever really had any. I, I thought that was what it was. But I said, all right, well, if you need him to hit it from 45, he can do that. He's a pretty He's pretty consistent on on sort of the, the average length kick. And honestly, if if he could give him that, I would be perfectly happy with it and just understand that okay, ask, if you ask him to hit him fifty five, well hold on to your you know, hold on to your shirt. But but I mean in this instance this that wasn't even the issue. This is a forty two yard kick. Uh Frank Reich said it in his press conference. That needs to be up above Uh, we just lost Steven there. We'll ch- check back with him here in just a second. We'll let Sam get him back on. The other thing that I'm curious about uh, that I want to ask Steven is, is exactly that point, Mark, and then we'll move on to other stuff, I promise, besides just the kicker. But did the kicker position become one that was of greater need because of the fact that they realized offensively they still aren't in a position to be able to get down the field quickly? You know I, what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I, well, and it's that, and I think just Frank Reich's aggressiveness almost kind of told you they didn't have much confidence in Rodrigo Blankenship because, again, first and nine, or first and goal from the Texans' nine, they decided to go for the uh, Wildcat instead of going for the field goal. Steven, did, did the kicking position become – we were talking about this earlier. Is there any possibility – and I know that Blankenship had his issues, and we'll get to the rest of the team here after this. I promise this will be our last thing on the kicking situation, but – did the Colts assess the need for leg power versus inside the 40 consistency? Did that become a big issue, not even specifically because of Rodrigo Blankenship, but because they realized that their best ability to move the football in late-game situations still is going with something that chews up clock, and therefore they may be dealing with an inability to shorten the field like other teams do because they only have one aerial weapon right now. Does that factor into it at all? 
Um, yeah, I, mean, I, I, I will say this. I think your kicking situation heavily impacts how you govern yourself at the end of games and, and end of half situations, whatever the case might be. It also has impacted them, I think, and Frank Reich may not, may not admit this, but it has certainly impacted fourth down decisions just in the regular course of a game. So, yeah, the, your kicking situation always, always, always impacts how you manage a game and the decisions that you make. And if you're not confident in your kicker and your kicking situation, it's going to have a negative impact because it's going to shrink the menu of things that you can do. There's no doubt about that. So it has an absolute impact, overall impact on things, much, much more than whether a guy makes or misses his field goals. It's bigger than that. Speaking of bigger than that, this game now with Jacksonville, Colts 0-0-1. They're coming off a flat performance for the better part of the game against Houston. It is my opinion, Stephen, you tell me fact or fiction. My opinion is that this particular game against the Jaguars already was big, but now is amplified even more because this is the site of Jim Irsay's lack of sleep PTSD since the absolutely abysmal performance to end last season, and he had his scapegoat. He had his guy that he made the change with because of the the performance in Jacksonville. Carson Wentz wasn't going to be back, and he's gone, and we're going to make that change, and this is why. And if you're Chris Ballard or Frank Reich, you're saying to yourself, holy bleep, if we go down there and have another flat performance, then all of a sudden the variable shifts to me, and therefore it is a huge game that is pressure packed for the Colts brass on Sunday. Fact or fiction? hundred percent fact. Look, there, there are, there, there are going to be some tight, you know, what's in Jacksonville on Sunday. All right. I don't think we can pretend otherwise. There is no doubt about that. Now on the quarterback change and situation, I, I think I can still feel, I can still confidently say, this is the one thing I can say coming out of Sunday. I can still confidently say, that Matt Ryan is the best thing that has happened to the Colts in quite some time. I think this guy is the game changer we think he is. You, he just He's just not good enough to overcome all the other crap we saw. And that is not excusing his deficiencies, right? He can't have those quarterback center exchange issues. I understand that, regardless of whose fault that was, and there's some debate about that. Um, he, eh, the interception, I actually think I give Jerry Hughes more credit than I give then I give Matt Ryan blame. And so I can live with that because he's thrown to a wide open guy. It's a screen. He doesn't have any other options. He did what he had to do. Other than that, I mean, you're talking about just watch the way the guy worked the pocket. Watch how he stood up in the face of way too much pressure, by the way. Hello, offensive line. Anyway, so I just want to make that point. I, I think they got it right with Matt Ryan. This is, this is going to be the reason. He's going to be the reason or the biggest reason they have a chance to do something this year. But – there is no doubt about it. They go down there and lose, and, and then you come home and play Kansas City. Let me tell you something. That is going to be a miserable building to be in next week if that happens, okay? Absolutely, positively miserable. And I know they've been here before, okay? They are not a fast-starting team, and we know this is what they do, but don't put yourself in that position, not after what happened last season. So is your, is your estimation that Sunday is a must-win, even though it's only week two? 
it would be a really, really nice game to win. <laughs> Look, it's not a, a must-win. It's a better not lose. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's not a must-win in this regard. Like, is someone going to get fired over it? No, not necessarily. But I, I don't think this is going to be like 2018 where they were 1-5. and five. And don't get me wrong, like there was a lot of pressure there. But, but the stakes weren't as high because no one was talking about this team going to the Super Bowl in 2018. No one was talking about, you know, uh, about all the, the off-season acquisitions they had in 2018, even though they had a very good draft, et cetera. But this is different. I think this is much, much different. Uh, this team had major expectations. Uh, they went out and made some uncharacteristic acquisitions. When you think about Gilmore and Gakwe, for example, so – I think this is a very different scenario. The, the, a slow start this year would, would I think, be much more – it would be viewed much more skeptically than it has been in the last few years, even though they have had other slow starts. Steven, do you ever have the recurring dream that you are walking in – I think we've talked about this before, but you ever had the dream that you're walking in to take a final in college and like you realize you haven't been to class the entire semester and you're like, oh my goodness, like what's going to happen here? There's no way I can pass this class. Am I the only one that has this dream or have you had that dream? Uh, oh, so it, it's not a dream. Like it, that happens. Okay. Right. Right. <laughs> I actually, this is a very realistic conversation for me. So yes, continue. Okay. So you, you know where I'm going with this. So Chris Ballard, in terms of that dream, Let's say now he has the one where he is dreaming and he's like, oh, my goodness, the season is here, and yet this is the area that I still haven't properly prepared. I can't believe it. I'm looking at my roster. I'm watching the game film, and I thought I was prepared, but blank in terms of an area of my football team again has left me in the dark. That area is what? Well, I don't know if it's an again, but I would say right now left tackle is is the area where they, they're walking into the final exam and they're not up to snuff. And, and it's a problem. Okay, it's a problem. Listen, it's going to be a problem in Jacksonville. Uh, Jacksonville can rush the passer. Okay? I don't know what else they can do, and we will see. Uh, but they have invested a lot of draft capital up front on that defensive line. They had the number one overall pick in the draft this year. And they're coming after the quarterback, man. And and right now, this team is struggling on the, on the left edge, frankly, on the right edge with Braden Smith as well, uh, which is completely confusing. They're, they're struggling to deal with speed right now, speed rushers, and they're going to get that again. So I don't know if that completely answers the question, but, but, I, think, but I think you knew this was going to be, you know, to continue the metaphor, you knew this was going to be a difficult exam. And you knew that maybe – or we thought that they might be underprepared. <laughs> and so far, it seems that we were right. You know, listen, the the things that we're talking about, left tackle, kicker, um, you know, for that matter, additional playmakers at receiver. I, I know it's one game. I get it. It's one game, right? You don't want to be overreact. It's one game. But yet, I know I'm not an NFL GM. I know you're not an NFL GM. But, like, we've been harping about this and kind of told that we were making too much of it for a while now. At what point are people going to be like, hey, how you like us now? Well, look, I, I'll say this. Um, let's, let's look at left tackle. There, there are – let me, let me back up. 
Well, how soon is it before Ryman's handed the keys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, yeah, I think if you're if you're swapping, if you're if you're rotating guys at this point, I mean, I think if you're not all in, then move on, right? Play the guy with the upside is what I'd say. Um, you're right, though. I mean, it's absolutely it is it is frustrating. It can be frustrating when you had these questions going in and they continue to be questions. Now, I do want to give a little bit of bright side here. Okay, if you looked at the scoreboards for week one. I imagine they're having similar conversations in San Francisco and Cincinnati and <laughs> you name it. Right. Uh, I think in Tennessee, for sure, Arizona, I, I mean, the, the Packers, what the hell? Right. So the Broncos, there are a lot of teams that are legitimate contenders, at least through our, you know, the conversation of the off season that, that had similar outcomes this week. So I guess what I'm saying is, We'll see. I really, really don't want to overreact. It doesn't make anything we've said so far untrue. It's all true. But I, I think the clarity comes after multiple games, right? I mean, one game is, is, is an isolated instance, or it could be. And we'll see. We'll, look, they'll either, they will either be proven right and vindicated, or everything we've said will be compounded, and then it will leave no doubt that they screwed up. So the beauty of it is we're going to know. Stephen Holder with us on Kevin and Query. Last one for me, Stephen, your latest involved uh, story with Matt Ryan. You had a sit-down interview, interview with him about a week and a half ahead of the season opener. What's your biggest takeaways from sitting down with the Colts' starting quarterback? Well, first of all, a little inside baseball. This is why sometimes I hate my job because <laughs> you're at the mercy of the teams that you cover. <laughs> so I knew this story was coming out this week. And I'm like, you know, it'd be nice if they went down there and won in Houston and, and not left anything to doubt with this story. But anyhow, that being said, um, I, I would say what I learned about Matt Ryan, a couple of things. Uh, this guy's an adult. Okay. He gets it. He knows it. He understands the role. And, and he really is. He, he really understands that he's playing for his legacy. Now this isn't, I mean, this guy has plenty of money. He's making more of it certainly, but this is about his legacy and he cares about that. Even though he didn't talk about it that much, he cares. The other thing I'd say is uh, people who have spent time with him over the years. Uh, I talked to Tony Gonzalez, who was with him when in Atlanta, when, when Matt Ryan was very young and Tony is absolutely positively convinced that, that Matt can get this done and, and that he has just a, a, a top tier leadership component that is going to be the game changer here. So I, I really think that you come away feeling that everything you've been told about Matt Ryan, I came away feeling like it was reinforced by what people told me. Okay. Last one for me, Steven talking at the quarterback position and who the Colts are going to see on Sunday, a guy that I watched a ton in college. I thought he had Peyton Manning level ceiling. I know that sounds crazy, um, Trevor Lawrence had a very inconsistent rookie year. Maybe part of that's personnel around him. Is he? Is there any reason to believe that he is going to take a step this year, or is Trevor Lawrence destined to be a guy in Jacksonville that's always chasing it? I am not giving up on Trevor Lawrence. I mean, I saw what you saw, right? And you saw certainly more of him. You know, I heard you like Clemson. But, um, that's right. <laughs> rumor has it. Look, I think that he, the skills and the skill set that he has, that is exactly what you were looking for in an NFL quarterback. And he has all of it. So you can't tell me that with a better supporting cast, with better coaching, by the way, 
Doug Peterson knows a little bit about coaching quarterbacks. You can't tell me that he won't improve over time because he has everything else. And if he doesn't, then, then we were all wrong and, and the guy's a bum. But I'm going to tell you, I, I'm very skeptical that that's the case. I, I think that you're going to see improvement from this guy. And let me tell you something. If Doug Peterson gets this right and they figure it out with Trevor Lawrence, I said this uh, to JMB last night. The Jaguars are suddenly going to have by far the best quarterback situation in the entire division. Write it down. So that that's, that's well. Do they have the possible. weapons around him yet? Does because to well, me at the quarterback position, Stephen, you've only got a certain window of time to get it right in terms of building around him, and then all, or else you waste a guy, and now you end up with you know David Carr or Joey Harrington or some guy that just never had anything around him. Um, are they in jeopardy of that happening? That is still a question. It's still to be determined. I think we'll have to see more of what they, more of of their team this year. Uh, they they were certainly busy this past off season, but did they do enough? Did they get the right guys? I mean, those are the questions that we have. So, I know we'll we'll see. I mean, you know, they they played a really competitive game week one, and you know we'll see what happens this week. I mean, do they ever not play a competitive game against the Colts? So, <laughs> they probably feel pretty confident right now. Steven, ESPN.com. Steven Holder is where you can read his work. Appreciate the time and look forward to talking to you again, all right? All right, guys, you got it. All right, that was uh, the the multiply fractured version of Steven Holder on the Payless Liquors guest line. Bob Kravitz coming up in just a few, but first, time for another morning checkdown. The morning checkdown. Brought to you by Ball State Football. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com. Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Baseball going on around the country yesterday. The Pirates took it to the Reds 6-1. to Cubs topped the Mets 4-1. Brewers over the Cardinals 8-4. Now that was a doubleheader for the Pirates, let's be fair. Was it? Yeah, they also won game two. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't see that score there. Either way. What do you mean you don't see the score? You're looking at the same I sheet one. I am. I see one. I see Pittsburgh over Reds, six to one. Where's what are the you looking one? at? Are you not looking at Scotty's dailies? Is this the? What the hell am I looking? No, yeah, I'm looking. There's only one score listed. You were out of your mind. I don't think so. I don't think I am. Anyway, White Sox topped the Rockies four to two. Toledo Mudhens hammered the Indianapolis Indians nine to one. Am I reading that wrong? That's the. the I'm looking at the same sheet you are. What does that say? I see one score for the Pirates and the Reds. Yeah, look, you got double vision. What's happening with you? Hey, I can just confirm that it was a doubleheader, and the Pirates won the second game, one nothing. Yeah, it's right there. I don't see that. Maybe I need to talk to my optometrist. Either way, <laughs> I guess. The Reds stink. There's your breaking news for you. Other news. Go ahead and hit the swish. In the NBA, we had a wild story. Hit it twice. It's a doubleheader. <laughs> what the hell? Phoenix Suns owner Robert Sarver. Did you see this? Suspended for the year. Fined $10 million after an investigation finds conduct clearly violated workplace standards. Well, he is protesting that, is he not? He is appealing, I saw. He is, but they've got some evidence that is pretty damning. So, uh, yeah, so that, that was a fascinating breaking news story that came across the, the wire yesterday. Uh, speaking of Suns, the one in Indianapolis is coming up, and actually we're back to summer again after yesterday, kind of the um, pumpkin spice weather. Things starting to look good today in terms of a good-looking Wednesday, and Bob Kravitz is going to join us to continue as we roll along here on a Wednesday morning on Kevin Query, Kevin and Query, 93.5, 107.5. The fan, Bob Kravitz next. 
listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The fan. Flags crossed over and furled, meaning halfway home here on a Wednesday edition at Kevin and Query. Joining us now on the program on the Payless Liquors guest line, he is, in my opinion, the dean of media within Indianapolis, the most versatilely connected writer. Bob Kravitz joining us from The Athletic, who had a column yesterday about Rodrigo Blankenship. And Bob, I'll be honest, man, you know, the, the conversation and the chatter began yesterday of, you know, hey, are the Colts in a situation here where they've got to make a change? I was actually surprised that they did so so swiftly. Were you surprised? I'm not saying they were wrong, but were you surprised that they made that move that quickly? A little bit just because they stuck with, they stick with their guys. You know, they stuck with Vinatieri in a year when he was making 78% of his uh, extra points uh, and, and less than 80% of his field goals. Of course, Vinatieri and uh, Blankenship are two completely different uh, entities. But, yeah, I was a little surprised. But, you know, it was such, an, it was such a no-brainer. You know, um, if you're Chris Ballard and you're watching, the 42-yard miss was bad. It was egregious. It landed in the Gulf of Mexico. But, you know, those two kickoffs, and I realize he's not a kickoff specialist, but for crying out loud, you've got one job, you know, keep it in play. And to set them up on the 40-yard line is – if they had done nothing, it would have been a dereliction of duty in my in my view. So you mentioned that it is kind of uncharacteristic because they like to stick with their guys. Do you think this was fully a Chris, Reich, uh, Chris Ballard and Frank Reich decision? Or did Jim Ursay voice his opinion in this well, decision? I'm sure, I'm sure Jim happily signed off on it, but uh, I, I believe it was a Chris Ballard decision. I, you look, Chris understands how important this year is to him and to Frank Reich and to everybody in the organization. And uh, I, I think when you've got a kicker who you can't count upon, uh, it, it, it has an impact on the entire locker room. So, no, I, I don't think – Jim gets involved in the big stuff, you know, like drafting Andrew Luck, anything related to quarterbacks, Jim's involved. But I don't believe that Jim uh, brought the hammer down and said, you must get rid of this guy. I think uh, they figured that one out all by themselves. So they went through last season, the offseason training camp, and they evaluated that he was their guy. And then one game in there, swapping him out again. So does that make you question their evaluation process of the position? Yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, now look, he, you know, I, I was at training camp a uh, good percentage of the days, and he was much better than Verity. Uh, and, and they had high hopes for, for Jake Verity, the other kicker. Um, but Blankenship was definitely the guy. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it probably would have made sense to go out and find another kicker. But, you know, you remember back to his rookie year, he said franchise records and points scored and all this kind of thing. And he was very, very solid. So, um, you know, they, they could, they, yeah, they could have brought in somebody to give him more competition, I guess. But uh, he was really solid at training camp. I mean, we watched some of the kicking competitions and he was, he was virtually money. So, you know, uh, I, I think I, I don't give them too much of a hard time for that. Bob, when you look at – Bob Kravitz is our guest on the Payless Liggers guest line. Uh, Bob's with The Athletic. When you, when you look at both Chris Ballard and Frank Reich, a lot of people started asking me this. 
is either one of them, I don't think either one of them in any way, shape, or form is on a hot seat at all, but is, and I think Frank would be the first one, is it warm in any way, shape, or form, although I do feel like that all of a sudden the thermostat on the seat might go up a little bit if they're flat in Jacksonville, but your thoughts? Yeah, I I agree with that. Uh, This Jacksonville game is is huge. Uh, A lot of ghosts that need to be exercised. I... I think the clock really starts ticking on them next year. You know, it all depends. Look, if this year's a dumpster fire, then yeah, I could see, I could see changes being made. I mean, if if somehow they go seven and ten or eight and nine or whatever, if they miss the playoffs, there's a possibility. I would imagine that they might make a change somewhere, uh, more likely at head coach than than GM. But you know, if you assume as most of us do that they're going to have a pretty decent season, the, notwithstanding the performance in Houston. Um, I think it really moves to next year um, where, you know, they need to take that next step. And if they don't, then, yeah, I think I think the seat gets really hot under both guys who, as we, as we know, uh, have been extended to, I think, 2026, I think it is, or 2024, I can't recall. But, uh, yeah, the seat's going to going to get real hot uh uh if they don't uh, if they don't pr- produce this year bob i have long felt and i want your your thoughts on this when you look at chris ballard chris ballard to me is kind of like andrew luck and the fact that like you ask anybody outside of indianapolis and they're like oh he's yeah he's he's got it he's great yeah he's great and then you say well what what makes him great he just has it well what is it greatness but what makes it great the it factor and Mike, nobody can, and I'm not saying he's not good, but how much has Chris Ballard benefited from being the complete opposite in appearance and composure to his predecessor? And I don't mean from a football building scheming yeah. standpoint with Ryan Grigson, but Grigson was, you know, not very polished, didn't care about being polished. Ballard, on the other hand, wears nice sweaters, has great hair, has a cool accent, seemingly in control. How much does he benefit and get a longer leash based on the precedent set before him when he walked in the door? Well, I do think, uh, look, he, he provides uh, the media with a lot of access. And I have said this from the beginning of time, that access for a media person is very seductive and it's very dangerous. You know, you need access to do what Zach does and James and Joel and, and Nate. Uh, for me, I, I don't necessarily want that access because I want to be able to blow them up when, uh, when the time is right, you know, when, when it's appropriate. So I do think that Ryan and he and Ryan understands this. We've had discussions. Ryan really hurt himself by being kind of a jerk with the media and there, there is no doubt in my mind that um, he has not gotten crushed the way maybe he should get crushed in certain situations because he is uh, so uh, accessible. You're talking about Ballard now. Talking about Ballard, yeah. I mean, look, they've got two really nice, good people running this organization, and if you're a human being, that, that resonates with you as a media person. And most media people uh, are human beings, a good good number of them. So, uh, 
I, I do think that has something to do with it. I mean, you look at their – if you just paired their records, I mean, there, there's no comparison. You know, they went 11-5, 11-5, 11-5, reached the AFC title game in three years after a complete rebuild. So I've never been one who thought that Ryan Grigson was a total disaster. He made some bad moves. But you know what? This guy makes some bad moves too. I also think the reason that Ballard – I don't want to say gets a pass because I don't think that's true, but he is a great judge of talent. I mean, you look at what seven pro bowlers last year, you know, I mean, and this cross kid's going to be terrific. Um, You know, I, I I think, I think he gets, he gets the benefit of the doubt because he's brought in great individual players. He just hasn't built a great team yet. Now, is he a great evaluator of talent at the receiver position? Or is that an area that they're going to fall flat? Well, uh, I don't know that they're going to fall flat down the road, but I, I really am uncomfortable uh, with the idea of thinking that a rookie can be your number two or number three wide receiver. I'm uncomfortable with the fact that they're, they're looking at Paris Campbell to have a big year. I mean, th- there's a lot of faith being placed in guys you haven't done before. And I mean, you look, you look at Michael Pittman's rookie year. He didn't do much. Reggie Wayne, Reggie Wayne had a very quiet rookie year. Uh, if memory serves. So um, it's going to take these guys a while. I mean, might those guys be the guys moving forward like next year? Yes. But if you're a team that has designs on winning a division title and doing something in the playoffs, uh, to me, that's a dereliction of duty to bring up that that uh, phrase again to go into the season with uh, with the with the wide receiver room that they have. How did you evaluate evaluate Matt Ryan's performance on Sunday? You know, I mean, I, look, there are, there are some follies in there. Obviously, the the interception, uh, which was just a great play by Jerry Hughes. Let's let's face it. But um, I, I I thought you know, look. You, if if, if uh, uh, Pierce catches that ball, if Doolin comes down with that ball, he's looking at a at a, at a huge game, 400 yard yard game with a couple of touchdowns. So I thought it took a while, obviously, but once they got going in the fourth quarter, I thought he was terrific. He threw for I don't know 300 something yards. Um, I thought I thought he was fine. Uh, he, he is what he is, and he made he made most of the layups. So that's a good thing. Bob, it's been a long time. You, you know, I almost hate to bring in this analogy. We'll, we'll use it as a college guy. Every college guy has that one girl that, like, broke his heart and, or whatever. They had a bad breakup. And you come home one night, and he's, like, getting ready to pick up the phone. And you're like, dude, you can't call her, man. you got to move on, right? Right. How tempted has Chris Ballard been at any point, or will he be, to pick up the phone and call T.Y. Hilton? Uh, I don't think he will. I don't think he will, and I think it would be a complete mistake. Uh, you know, everybody loves T.Y. Hilton. I love T.Y. Hilton. Great guy, great player, uh, ring of honor guy, ring of fame. But he's been washed for two years. I'm sorry. I, I hate to say it, but he's had his opportunities for two years. Now, if you're going to go out and get somebody, go go elsewhere, whether it's OBJ or whoever it might be. I'm just, you know, picking names of guys that uh, – I know are available, but um, 
No, T.Y. Hilton is not the answer. If T.Y. Hilton is the answer, I don't want to know the question. You know, we talk so much. Bob Kravitz is our guest from The Athletic. We talk so much about areas where a team falls short. Part of that's our job. Just, you know, hey, they're not doing this well. They're not doing that well. So let's, since it's sunny outside and it's going to be a beautiful day today, let's be optimistic and we'll be rays of sunshine on this Wednesday morning, Bob Kravitz. Tell me oh, an I'm area. Your, I'm your guy, Jake. That's I'm right. Your guy for Mr. <laughs> you and I are not at all like the two old guys at the end of the Muppets in any way, shape, or form. That's correct. Um, I'm, yelling, I'm yelling at a cloud right now. Hey, <laughs> hey. Well, the good news is there's not one for you to yell at this morning. Um, Give me an area that the Colts actually pleasantly surprised you, if any, in Houston. Mm. Um, Well, I mean, you got we got what was expected. You know, you know what I I liked. uh, I liked their their secondary play. Um, I I thought Cross had a good game. Well, Blackman uh, had some issues, uh, but. I I don't know. I, I'm really uh, – that's a good question. What surprised me? Um, well, I mean, their ability to come back was, was noble, I guess. You know, at least at least they woke the hell up and started playing. Uh, I, I guess the secondary, but that's not a very good answer. You know, you mentioned earlier, though, Cross is pretty darn good, isn't he? I mean, for as young he as he is like and athletic as he is, he's pretty exciting. He really is. Remember Antoine Bisset? Yeah. I, I remember when he got to camp. Uh, I don't remember where camp was back then because they've changed a couple of times. But he was like a fifth or sixth rounder out of Howard University, and you didn't expect a hell of a lot from him. Dude, he was a starter from the day he walked on the field in, in, in training camp. And that's what rem- that's what this uh, cross reminds Nick Cross reminds me of. I mean, he's 21 years old. He just turned 21, and he uh, he looks like an absolute natural at that position. And I think they've uh, again. That's another really great find by Chris Ballard. Um, what was he? Second, third, third round, third round. Uh, I think that was another great find by Chris Ballard. He, he's going to be a stud uh, for them for a long time, in much the same way that Antoine Bate was. Probably had the most boring 21st birthday ever because I think it fell on the day before opening opening night. So <laughs> that was probably just an awful 21st birthday for him. Last for, for me, Bob, I know it's only Wednesday and we don't even know who the kicker of this team is going to be on Sunday, but do you think they get the job done in Jacksonville? Yeah. They, <laughs> I've said this so many times. I remember going in there when they they were really hot with Andrew Luck and they lost 6 to nothing. I mean, weird stuff happens in Jacksonville. And, and, which is surprising because nothing happens in Jacksonville, you know, uh, but really weird stuff. They, they just, I, I, it's inexplicable to me, but I, I think uh, that they, they got a bit of a wake up call in Houston and they understand, you know, five of the first seven are against the AFC South opponents. And if you can't win three out of four uh, against those two teams against Houston and Jacksonville, you are in a world of hurt. You got no chance of winning the AFC South. That said, at 0-0-1, they're off to their greatest start since 2013 uh, in the AFC South because the Titans lost and the, the tie and, and, and Jacksonville obviously lost. You better get this win on Sunday because you got the Chiefs staring you right in the face and they look, they look phenomenal on yeah. Sunday, so that might not be too good. Hey, Bob, did you see that um, hockey's got a new home in central Indiana in a couple years? 
No, I did not. The city of Fishers, town of Fishers, whatever the heck it is, community of Fishers, traffic jam of Fishers, um, they are building a $1.1 billion, that's with a B, billion-dollar entertainment and shopping district near just south of the Ikea location that will include an 8,500-seat hockey arena, which will become the new home of the Indy Fuel in 2024. I had heard for years and years and years from the Hallets that they were – they were looking to build up in up in the burbs, and that's that's the thing to do. When you have a minor league hockey team. I mean, they got to get out of the Coliseum. They've done a nice job. You know, the farmers, whatever it's called now, they've done a nice job of rehabbing that place. But the parking is abysmal. The traffic is abysmal. Um, I think that's a great idea for the fuel. And it's great for hockey in this town, and I am thrilled to hear it. It makes me, and I don't disagree with any of that. As a, as an old guy yelling at clouds, also, um, it does make me sad for the sake of the Coliseum. Listen, I get it. I mean, everything has its era, right. uh, but I think they did a nice job of renovating, you know, a historic place within the city. And I really had high hopes that IEPUI in particular could could find a home there. And there are still events they can do there, maybe concerts from time to time. Sure. But it does make me sad to think that hockey would not be there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you go all the way back to the racers. And, I mean, the racers used to practice there and uh, also up at Carmel. Now, I, think, I think setting things up out here, I'm up in Carmel. I used to be in Fishers. I, I, this is where the hockey interest is. And it, it just makes perfect sense. And I know – that the Hallets have been, I know even before that, uh, uh, what uh, uh, Scott was trying to get something built out in the Burbs. So I think that's great. So we'll have a nice, nice new hockey arena, and we'll have uh, we'll have a new soccer stadium coming online at some point. You can wait three and a half hours to get yourself a beer there, like at one of the microbreweries on One Sixteenth, and then then go watch a hockey game, right? Damn. Exactly. Get some that's meatballs right, at IKEA right, and call it a weekend. That traffic over there, by the way, is brutal. <laughs> I know. I oh know. Oh, God. <laughs> Trust me. I People joke at me, man. I don't go north of 96th Street. I'm, I'm the iconoclast. Bob, we appreciate it as always, man. All right, bud. Take right. care. Good talking to you. Likewise. Bob Kravitz on the Payless Liquors guest line. You a hockey fan, Mark? I am. Yeah. Blackhawks fan. Wasn't for a while. They stunk. I remember I went to a car dealership to test drive a car and you got free Blackhawks tickets. Really? I said, oh, I'd, I'm here for the you know test drive for you the free Blackhawks tickets. You pulled over for speeding, you get three more, right? That's right. So I did the test drive. I was like, oh, I wanted to get the free Blackhawks tickets. And this is how bad they were before. Guy pulls out just uh, like a crate of tickets. Take as many as you want. I can't give these things away. <laughs> so we saw like the Red Wings and all. The, we went to like five games that year. I got tickets for me and my two brothers and my dad. Did you buy the car? Like, no. Had no. no interest in buying the car, did you? I was like, you? I'll go to free Blackhawks tickets. Sure, why not? <laughs> No. I think my brother ended up getting that car, though. Uh, I will give more specifics on this news that just came out this morning regarding the fuel and their new arena uh, upcoming here. It's Kevin and Quarry, 93.5, The Fan. You're listening to Kevin and Quarry on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Kevin and Quarry on a Wednesday morning. I'm Mark Dykton. In for Kevin Bowen, probably changing his ninth diaper of the day. Uh, he's off enjoying new parenthood, his second baby, Max Bowen, his wife Maddie, and Rosie. He'll be back on Monday. Jake Query here as well, Sam Fritz on the big board. 
And Jake, you were talking a little bit about the Fishers Hockey Arena. So real estate company Thompson Thrift, I'm getting this admittedly from WTHR. Thank you to WTHR for having this story. Um, the community of Fishers, obviously up on the northeast side, there is a new development that will be located east of Interstate 69 between 106th and 116th Street, southeast of Ikea. And I don't know what this means for the old historic house that was like dropped there. If you know what I'm talking about, just south of Ikea, if you're driving up 69 on the right-hand side, there's just an old brick home, which apparently was like an original farmhouse in the area that they moved when development took place. They wanted to keep it intact, and so they moved that house. I have no idea what they do with that now. Um, But part of the expansion is a new event center that will host sporting, theatrical, and entertainment events for up to 8,500 people, according to WTHR. Once it's complete, the Indy Fuel, it says, uh, will be playing there beginning in the 2024-2025 season. The overall expansion includes a multifamily and garden home community with direct access to the Fishers District, the Union, which is an expansion of the lifestyle, multifamily, and entertainment options at the Fishers District, which will include 250 luxury apartments, 60,000 square feet of retail and restaurants, 150 hotel rooms, and up to 80,000 square feet of Class A office space, uh, as well as the event center uh, that will include additional restaurants and entertainment areas. Nice. Yeah. Should be fun. Should be good. I can only imagine there's going to be more concerts. Another concert venue venue in the area. Get some pro wrestling there probably too. That'll be fun. Now, the what I'd like to know, which I can't see here, is exactly how much of this is, and this is always my thing, how much of this is publicly subsidized, how much is private. Uh, keep in mind, Andretti Autosport, by the way, right there, if you think about, if you're driving up Allisonville Road and there's that airport on the right-hand side um, at like 9700, I think, North Allisonville. Just on the other side of that airport is where Andretti Autosport is planning on building its $200 million motorsports headquarters. And my understanding is that was made possible partially because of... So Michael Andretti's Andretti Autosport team, which is more than just their IndyCar team. I mean, they have teams in various forms of motorsports. But it's my understanding that part of why that was made possible is because the currently existing Andretti Autosport, McLaren had talked about building a shop in Indianapolis, and it's my understanding that McLaren may now buy the existing, and, and, as opposed to Andretti, or McLaren building an all-new facility, they are buying the currently existing Andretti facility, which then allowed Michael Andretti the capital to expand his next to the airport in Fishers, which is perfectly located because you can Walk right outside your office, hop on a plane, and go wherever you got to go. Gotcha. Another note on uh, IndyCar real quick. Alex Plo has just tweeted out he is excited to announce that he and Chip Ganassi Racing have come to an agreement, and he'll be back in the number 10 car Zero next surprise. season. Yeah, same here. Somebody asked me over the weekend, they said, who's going to be driving? You know what that uh, come to an agreement, you know what that means? It means that both realized they didn't have an option either way. That's right. And Palo, what happened with Alex Palo? real quick, very simple. Alex Palo thought with his new management team that he had an out with his contract. He was excited about an opportunity with McLaren. He signed with and announced that with McLaren and Ganassi's like, what are you talking about? You still have, we have an option on your contract, which Polo I think was unaware of. 
And then once they looked over it, went, eh, boy. We started dating other people and didn't realize that we weren't officially divorced. It happens sometimes. Tom and Todd, we see you on the line. Stick in. We'll get to you on the other side of the break. You're listening to Kevin and Query, 93.5-1075, The Fan. It's Kevin and Query on 93.5-1075, The Fan. Sometimes we get really excited about nothing, so let me explain exactly what I mean by that. Good morning to you on a Wednesday. Jake Query along with Mark Dykton. It's Kevin and Query here on 93.5-1075, The Fan. So... Oh, I don't know what it was, probably a month ago or so. All hell broke loose when Chip Ganassi Racing sent out a tweet saying that they had picked up the option on Alex Pillow, the last year's series champion in the NTT IndyCar Series. And Alex Pillow immediately responded with his own tweet saying, not only am I not going back to Chip Ganassi, but they used a quote that wasn't even from me in their story. I am thrilled to announce that I will be racing with Aero McLaren SP, along with Pata Award and Alexander Rossi. And all of a sudden, all hell broke loose. At that time, I reached out to a Ganassi official that said to me, Alex Pillow is under contract with our team for next year. Now, it's pretty clear that what took place is the following. Alex Palou, who is Spanish, lives in or near Barcelona, really nice guy, has a new management team that he had acquired some way mid, midpoint of this year. And I don't know that they're overall vastly experienced with intricate sports contracts, truth be told. So I believe that Alex Palou's contract – and this happens a lot. It happens in our line of work. I don't know how it is in, in the quote-unquote real world, but in sports broadcasting and sports, it's probably the only area where athletes and broadcasters have something in common. And that you sign, like I have before signed, say a two-year contract with what's called a third-year employer option. And usually that means it says in your contract, hey, if we decide that we want to keep you for a third year, then we have to let you know like within a 90-day period of when your contract is set to expire. And so long as we let you know that, the contract automatically picks up a third year. So in the case of Polo, I believe that Zach Brown and Aero McLaren came to to Alex Polo to talk to Alex Polo about driving a car for them in next season's IndyCar series. Polo, I think, said... Well, yeah, I mean, I have a two-year contract, and I'm in year two of it. And his management team, who I don't think probably was overly experienced in figuring out those contracts, said to Zach Brown, we're good. Yes, he'd love to do it. What they didn't look at was the fine print that said Ganassi Racing had up until X date to exercise that option, which they did. Therefore, it is ironclad that Alex Pillow is contractually bound to them for three years instead of two. So, then all of a sudden you have this, well, that's awkward. Once they got into the finite of his contract, I believe his management team looked at it and went, eee, boy, they're right. You're contractually bound to Ganassi. Pillow, to his credit, stayed professional, said all the right things, did the right things and continued to to drive well, including winning the finale at Laguna Seca. 
McLaren, about a week ago, went back and deleted the tweet that they had sent announcing that they'd signed Alex Pillow. Now, you could certainly issue blame as well to Zach Brown of not looking over that contract himself, but he, for what it's worth, was trusting the word of Pillow's management team. So you're saying that uh, Alex Pillow's tweet about a half hour ago saying he's excited to announce is more of a marriage of convenience rather than actual excitement? I, I think that he... To his credit, I think that Polo, I don't think that Polo necessarily like was unhappy at Ganassi. I think that he was intrigued by Aero McLaren because of McLaren. And McLaren is a team that not only runs IndyCar, but they also run a Formula One team. And Alex Polo has sights as a European of running in Formula One. And Aero McLaren seemingly was signing him. They didn't say that they were signing him to drive an IndyCar. They just said they were signing him. And there was a lot of thought that perhaps they had they had lured Alex Pillow with the carrot of a Formula One possibility. Now, he has since clarified that perhaps this was the compromise of this mass confusion. But Pillow, in addition to driving for Chip Ganassi, they are allowing him to continue to do test opportunities in a Formula One car for McLaren. So he will... You know, occasionally go over for a weekend and test it in England or wherever and test a Formula One car and give information to McLaren about their Formula One car, but not their IndyCar side. I would assume that this is the last year of what was initially a three-year contract. So Pillow will be right back in the same situation a year from now as a free agent. And at that point, you would think that a Formula One opportunity would be something that would certainly wet his whistle. Now, the other side of this is McLaren has Pata Award a promising, promising young driver. They had signed away Alexander Rossi legitimately and officially from Andretti Autosport. Those are both confirmed. Felix Rosenquist, who ironically enough had previously driven the 10 car as well for Chip Ganassi Racing and has been with McLaren, Rosenquist has a really, really, really good, solid, healthy working relationship with Pata Award. And... Rosenquist himself, very talented. I think has been kind of snake bit by just bad luck beyond his control. There was a lot of question as to whether or not Rosenquist would be back with Aero McLaren. That question has now been answered, and he will be with Aero McLaren in IndyCar next season as part of a three-car team, Felix Rosenquist, Pata Award, and Alexander Rossi. So in the end, once the dust settled, what you end up with is Ganassi, Standing Pat, Polo, Scott Dixon, they're full-time drivers. Jimmy Johnson yet to decide whether or not he wants to come back and do it all over again. And then Arrow, McLaren, SP, Standing Pat, Pata Award, Felix Rosenquist, with the addition of Alexander Rossi. Interesting. So some IndyCar teams standing Pat. The Colts not standing Pat when it comes to their kicking game as they really, uh, waved uh, Rodrigo Blankenship yesterday. They are now have a couple kickers coming into the building. We will see where that ends up. Tom has been patient and wants to check in. What's up, Tom? Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, yes, missing that field goal was a huge part in the Colts, ending up in a tie in that game. But I think we're missing a 10,000-pound gorilla that we're not talking about very much, and I think is a far bigger concern. It's been a problem for the Colts in recent years, and it was certainly a problem on Sunday. I'm looking at the stats from the game on ESPN.com. In the red zone, the Colts were two for five. 
That's three trips within the opponent's 20 where they got zero points and one point would have won the game. And I think that's something that needs to be a bigger emphasis in taking a look at what happened in this game and, and how the Colts need to approach that going forward. Yeah, I thought some of the decision-making in terms of what they were doing in the red zone were peculiar at best, to say it, to say it nicely, right? Well, yeah, Jeff Saturday said he he liked the aggressiveness that Frank Reich showed, and I disagreed because I think if he would have gone for a field goal there, you're not facing a tie at that point heading into you're not you're not going into a tie. You've got a three point win over the Houston Texans, so you opted to go for it and be aggressive when you're inside the ten yard line of the Texans. You walk away with zero points, where a field goal would have made the difference in that game. Hey, Tom, you still there? Yes, I am. You sound like a nice fellow. Have you called the show before? You and I are buddies, Jake. This is Tom Serber. Tom. Hey, w- w- let me ask you this, Tom. What's going on with your Irish? Uh, Do you want to put a – let me ask – I thought they gave a heck of an effort against Ohio State. I was proud of them. And I was there on Saturday because I do stats for NBC, and Marshall just flat beat them in every way, shape, and form. You know, they I – were a better team. And hats off to them. I'm really intrigued, Tom, with the Clemson-Notre Dame game, and let me tell you why. I don't think Notre Dame is as bad as people are going to say they are because after the Marshall loss, and I don't think Clemson is as good as people think they are. Like, I think they're probably – it's like the Spider-Man gif. I I think both of them – I think it could be a really good game in South Bend, and I'm worried about it. Should I be worried as a Clemson fan going up there? Not – I wouldn't be too terribly worried. Notre Dame's had a lot of injuries – uh, on offense with running backs and receivers, and they're lacking playmakers. And that, that's the biggest problem for this team right now, and they're lacking experience at quarterback. Yeah, that's uh, the big that's the big or, thing, right? Or Pine coming in to take over. And Pine has some ability. He's got some swagger to him. You know, I like what he brings. I'm anxious to see how he looks on Saturday against Cal. But uh, the biggest problem, I think, with the Irish right now is a lack of playmakers. And, you know, recruiting, they say, is going great. We'll see what they bring in. But I think that's the biggest problem they face right now. Yeah, I mean, listen, recruiting is always – Tom, I appreciate it, man. It's great hearing from you. Recruiting is always a crapshoot. But, um, you know, indication is that Notre Dame is really, like Freeman's doing a heck of a job getting people – I think they're going to be really good for a long time. Like, I almost feel like as a Clemson fan, they've got to go up there and get this win this year because after that (laughs) – you got to enjoy trying to beat them while you can. Todd, what's up? Hey, what's happening, guys? Todd. It's what's happening, Todd. Let me ask you, Todd, what's your prediction on the Colts' record this year? They're off to an 0-0-1 start. After 17 games, what will be their record? I don't think they lose a, I don't think they lose a game since you asked me that, to be honest with you. 16-0-1 is a hell of a stat. <laughs> Here's what I'll tell you guys. Nothing to worry about here. I was just listening to your last caller, and he sounds like a pretty intelligent guy. But I'm telling you, these these coaches are going to fix it, and <laughs> they will. They'll fix it. And even if we lose the game, we're still going to win the division. All we're going to do is get better and get better and better and better. We'll win the division. We'll take that straight to the playoffs, and uh, we'll have the best game in every playoff game. And sooner or later, we'll win the Super Bowl, and Indianapolis is going to be super happy, and we'll throw. A huge party downtown. <laughs> We're all heading to Fisher's for that new hockey stadium. Let's go. That's Let's right. go, baby. The new Fisher's hockey stadium. Todd, oh, Todd one we... thing I do want to remind everybody, too, Indianapolis wraps their arms around kickers, man. And and bummer for uh, 
uh, bummer for Hot Rod. Like, good, good luck to him. But if you go back all the way to, I mean, Dean Biasucci to Kerry Blanchard to Adam Vinatieri and now Hot Rod, look, the Colts are going to find a good kicker. He's going to take advantage of a huge opportunity and probably figure out a way to be the best kicker in the league by the time they're <laughs> Stay in your lane, Todd. It sounded like your lane – indicator going on. Todd's all fired up. Todd, I'm what about you? Up, baby. Todd, last thing, what about your Ball State Cardinals? Chirp, chirp. Hey, look, they they got Mike New as a coach. They'll figure it out, too, just like the Colts coaching staff will. God, I want to run through a brick wall for Todd right that is, now. Oh, you, that's what's happening, Todd. Todd, lastly, who's going to win the Indy 500? Well, if uh, Charlie Kimball comes back, I don't see why he wouldn't win, but I think Alex Clow is going to win the Indianapolis 500 next year. All right, there Throw we down. go. Todd, always good to hear from you, man. Todd's yeah, streaking through the quad and going to the gymnasium. <laughs> That's what's happening, Todd. Todd has been predicting a 17-0 Colts season and a Charlie Kimball Indy 500 win for like 10 straight years. Boy, what, are, what can you get on odds like that if you have the Colts winning out? That's probably got to be a couple million dollar payout right there. What if you had that along with Charlie Kimball winning the 500 <sighs> in a parlay? You wouldn't see me here. That's for sure. I'd be retired. <laughs> really? Yeah. If you were going to retire, where would you live? You win the if you won the Powerball, you would move where? Uh, Rochester. No, I don't know. I'd, That'd be nice. Kodak, probably, I don't know if I'd, I'd necessarily film? move. I would probably have multiple houses in multiple. That's states. what I mean. But my my primary okay, location three, would still three. be here. here. Here we go. Outside of Indianapolis, San Diego. So you, hold on, you got to get two places where you have an apartment and one place where you have a home. Home, San Diego. Okay, right on the beach. Okay, gorgeous. Uh, probably an apartment in Central Florida to bring the kids, so we don't have to stay at the hotels. Okay, and see the family. My, my, you have my one wife. apartment left. One apartment left. Let's do. Uh, let's do New York. It's hard to argue that. I, you listen. I was in for the race at Laguna Seca. We were in Monterey Bay, and I had never been to Carmel by the Sea, which is the town that. Clint Eastwood was mayor for a while. And we went down and drove. It's called Scenic Drive. And it's right on. I mean, literally, there are houses like on like a little bluff where it has a walkout deck. And literally, the water is hitting up against like coral rocks just below it. There's very little development around it other than just the row of houses. And I mean, they're not super elaborate homes in terms of their size probably like 3,000 square foot, 2,500 square foot homes, but they're like 8 to $10 million. Location, 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 right? Right. But I'm telling you, and then we went to dinner. I mentioned this Monday. We went to, to dinner at a place that was just this little outdoor eatery, and it was like being inside somewhere with – like the the air temperature was 70 degrees like with, with like a slight nice air conditioning except for that it was natural air no humidity i mean it's unbelievable and like all i could think to myself was if you could live here why would you not right but i i think i'd have to go with the home probably near the tetons in wyoming that's not bad that's a good one and then an apartment Absolutely, one thousand percent, an apartment in Chelsea in the Village in New York City. Mm-hmm. So I feel like the Tetons, you could rent that. You can do like an Airbnb situation with the apartment. You can you could probably do the Airbnb out. with any of them, right? That's true. 
And then I think, to be honest with you, I would probably do as much as Southern California would be really tempting for me, probably Seattle. See, I've like never a, been to Seattle. I was oh, close, man. but didn't make it up there. It's Let me tell you, this time of year in particular, before the weather turns. Now, the reason Seattle, everybody talks about well, rains are all the time. It's not rainy. It's kind of misty. And the reason why is because the city of Seattle – is it is it is nestled in between the northern border of it is Lake Washington, which is a massive lake, but the western border is the Pacific Ocean. The eastern border is the Cascade Mountain Range. So the precipitation gets goes up into the atmosphere, and then as it moves west, it can't get over the mountains. It hits it, and so it, the the clouds and the drizzle just sits and nestles over the city of Seattle, and so it's like 45 to 50 and just kind of drizzly uh-huh. from October till April. And that, I think, absolutely does wear people out. But in the summertime, when it's like this outside, and you can see Mount Rainier, and you can see Lake Washington, and you can see that it is Nothing heaven on earth. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. By absolutely the way, if you're naming a highway scenic highway, you better have some views because you better not be going through a tunnel for 10 miles. <laughs> no, you're not. What the hell Bel- is this? Believe you me. And the other thing, too, is there's no addresses on the houses. Everybody's house had a name. Oh. So, like, it's like I'm looking at it and I'm like, well, what's the address? And, you know, everybody, it's like boats. Mm-hmm. You know, the getaway, peaceful serenity. Like, each house had like its own little label on it. Must be nice, right? Oh, the Jelly a Month Club house is right here. <laughs> That's right. That's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year round. Time for a morning check down, by the way. The morning check down. Omaha! 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 Brought to you by Ball State Football. Get your tickets at ballstatesports.com. Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. So, unsurprisingly, this will shock nobody in particular. I am an idiot, I can't read scores. Jake corrected me. There was a doubleheader. There's multiple doubleheaders played. I just can't read. So the Pittsburgh Pirates swept the Cincinnati Reds in a doubleheader. 6-1 in Game 1 and one nothing in Game 2. Cubs topped the Mets 4-1, which is apparently the biggest upset of the 2022 baseball season. If you bet the money line, the Cubs were plus 340. Uh, so there's that going for you. If you're still betting on the Cubs this late in the season, God help you. The Brewers topped the Cardinals 8-4. Blue Jays and Rays split a doubleheader. And the Houston Astros topped the Tigers six to three. White Sox lost, or White Sox won against the Colorado Rockies four to two as they try to stay alive in their playoff race. And the Toledo Mudhens throttled the Indianapolis Indians nine one. Uh, racing news, by the way, just breaking this morning. Alex Pillow back with Chip Ganassi in the ten car for next year. That is not a huge surprise. It seemed to be going in that direction. Truth be told, and Felix Rosenquist staying with Arrow. McLaren SP. So Rosenquist Rossi Award for Aero McLaren and Alex Polo Scott Dixon, of course, staying with Chip Ganassi. Also in the world of NASCAR, Kyle Busch announcing yesterday it became official. Uh, RCR, Richard Childress Racing, is where he will race. That does allow him, contractually speaking, should he choose to explore it, for Kyle Busch to perhaps run the Indianapolis 500. That is a story that we will Keep an eye on, keep in mind that his brother, Kurt, did exactly that and was the rookie of the year for the Indianapolis 500. And did we already mention the kicking change? No. Well, we can mention it. Okay. We've talked about it all morning. The Colts have waived Rodrigo Blankenship, and as a result, they will have two kickers right now on the roster. Chase McLaughlin, who is familiar with the Colts. He has been here before. And then Lucas, go ahead and say it for me, Mark. Uh, Havrasik. Havrasik. Yes. 
Lucas Haversick will be the other. They will have basically a kicking competition over the course of the week. One of them will be elevated from the practice squad onto the active roster for the Colts game in Jacksonville. Yep, that's it. That's what's going on. So we'll see who the Colts kicker is heading into Sunday. It's got to be one of those two guys, I imagine. And I also imagine that one of those, whoever it is, is going to take on kickoff duties as well. They're not going to split that at all. So anyway, coming up next, we've got the pop quiz. Go five for five, get a Jiff Lube prize pack. But we also, just for playing, get a four pack of tickets to the Speedrome. So 239-1070, light up the phones. It's the pop quiz time. You're listening to Kevin and Query, 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Pop quiz time on Kevin and Query, 239-1070. Your chance at a Jiffy Lose prize pack and just for playing a four-pack of tickets to the Speedrome. So 239-1070, get on the line. Looking at the pop quiz now, Scotty has a betting question, which I think that's a first. I don't remember seeing that before. So that, that, that tickles my fancy right now. I think the Colts kicking situation walked in during the break because it stinks in here. There's a whiff of something that is really? not good. It's not the ammonia smell. I don't smell we it. a few weeks ago. Is that a problem that I can't smell it? I don't know. What was that like paint thinner the other day? Yeah, it was something. I was getting a contact high, I think. So I don't know what it is. We'll see what it is. We'll try to we'll try to narrow that down, but worst case scenario, we're out of here in less than thirty minutes. So we'll see what happens. Two three nine ten seventy. Jake, pick a number one through eight. Do you know my favorite number? It's a little trivia for you. Two. No. Scott oh, Scotty says three. Scotty is correct. How'd you know that, Scotty? Because you said, I don't want. Why? Jay Edwards. Jay Edwards is correct. <laughs> Scotty had his fingers up, and I looked at two, not three. So I would have been right had I been able to see all three fingers. By the way, I have a great trivia question that I learned the other day. Would you like to know what it is? Well, yeah. Matter of fact, I will. I will actually guarantee that you don't know this off the top of your head. And whoever our pop quiz participant is, I'm not trying to usurp Jiffy Lube, but if this person can answer this question as a bonus, I will buy them a case of the beer of their choice and dinner. Okay. How about them apples? All right. Let's so hear it. Caller number three is who? Mark. Mark, what's hey, up? Oh, hey, I'm good now. <laughs> Mark, you've called the program before, correct? Yes. Sam, get like the a... dump button ready. I think Mark Mark, Mark's a got a potty guy. mouth sometimes. Oh, really? I'm good. I'm good. Okay. He's on his best I behavior. One thing. Vegas, St. George, Utah, and some place close by the airport and Fishers. What about those three things? I, it's a response to the question you posed earlier, Jake, of two apartments right. and a house if you want to. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. St. George, Utah is nice, right? Yeah. So that would be your home or your apartment? Home. Yeah, that's cool. But isn't here's the thing though. Isn't isn't St. George kind of close to Vegas? Exactly. That's what... But so it's you'd have Vegas. a home in St. George and an apartment in Vegas? And one in Fishers, not both fly everywhere. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, I'm going to give you a bonus question to begin before we get to the pop quiz. Are you ready? Yeah. As we know, the all-time home run king is Barry Bonds, which nobody really thinks of because everybody thinks it's Hank Aaron. Hank Aaron became a household name, of course, long beforehand, but was known for years as the guy that surpassed Babe Ruth's record as the all-time home run king, right? 7-15 against the Dodgers, 
Downing. Whose record did Babe Ruth break? When Babe Ruth became the all-time home run king in baseball history, whose record did he surpass? No Googling. Top of your head. Clue. Huh? Hank Greenberg. That's a great guess. That is a really, really, really good guess, honestly. Do I still get dinner and a beer? (laughs) Roger Connor is the correct answer, who sounds like he might have also played um, James Bond, but Roger Connor is the correct answer. All right. Who did he play for? What's that? Who did he play for? for? Uh, The New York Gothams, which was the precursor to the New York Giants. Oh, my God. I know. All right, uh, here we go. Would you like, for me, that would be Jake to lead you off with question one, or would you like Mark to lead you off? Mark with a C. Oh, Mark with a K. I like it. All right, we're switching up things. If you want a house near Vegas, this question's right up your alley. Question one, which NFL team is a betting favorite this week for the first time in 24 games? The Washington Commanders, Jacksonville Jaguars, Detroit Lions, or New York Jets? It is the favorite team of Dr. Mottman. That's your hint. Lions. Wow. Question two. Uh, Russell Wilson threw for 340 yards in the Broncos' Monday night loss to the Seahawks, the third most passing yards for a Super Bowl-winning quarterback in his first game against the team he won the Super Bowl with. A little bit loaded there, I realize. Peyton Manning threw for 386 yards in his first game against the Colts. Who is the second with 347 passing yards against his former Super Bowl-winning team, just before buying volleyball complexes. Oh, no. I'm sorry. That, that, I got it's, this. It's, no, it's not Favre. Boys. Sorry, it's not Favre. Is it Mark Rippon, Kurt Warner, or Tom Brady? What? <laughs> Give me the, the answer to the end. Sorry, I, I screwed up. Brett Favre was an option, but not the correct one. Uh, the second person to throw for 340 or more yards against a team with which he had won the Super Bowl. Is it Mark Rippon, Kurt Warner, or Tom Brady? Rippon. Okay. All right. Aaron Judge hit homers 56 and 57 last night. Kyle Schwarber is second with 37 homers this season. Who is the last player to lead the home run race by 20 or more homers at any point in the major league season? Babe Ruth, Barry Bonds, Jimmy Fox, or Hank Greenberg? Hank Greenberg. (laughs) I had a feeling he was going to go there. Mark, what time did you wake up this morning? Uh, graveyard shift, man. I haven't been to bed since about 8 o'clock. Last wow. Night. Okay. Fair enough. Um, are you a coffee drinker? Yeah. Uh, you know, actually, it kind of have to be with that, those So if you worked the graveyard shift and you're just getting ready for bed, like, did you have a cold beer when you got home? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On this day in 1936, the Pirates' Paul Wayner tied Roger Hornsby's major league record of seven career 200-hit seasons. Pete Rose extended the record to 10 seasons in 1979. What player is tied with Pete Rose with 10 career 200-hit seasons? Derek Jeter, Wade Boggs, Steve Garvey, or Ichiro? Boggs. On this day, he also <laughs> has had a beer before yes, he today. <laughs> yeah, he's him. <laughs> There's no, I don't think White Box has ever had just one. Mark, what kind of beer do you drink? Bud Light. Okay. All right. On this day in 1968, Denny McLean of the Detroit Tigers picked up his 30th win of the season. McLean would finish with 31 wins and is the first is the last 30-game winner in the majors. 
Since 1968, two pitchers have won 21 games in the season, or 27 games in the season, the most since McLean. Name one of those two 27-game winners. Gibson. Okay. That's a hell of a guess. That's a good guess. Mark, you know your baseball. Are you a big baseball fan? Mm, yeah, it's getting hard this time of year. Are you, who's your team? Reds. Yeah, well, I'm with you there, brother. All right, uh, question number one. Now, I'm curious, which team is is a betting favorite this week for the first time in 24 games? You went with Detroit. What was the thing that tipped your cap towards the Lions? Your doctor. So you did know that Botman's a Lions fan? If he didn't give that hint, would you have known the answer? Yeah, okay. maybe. <laughs> uh, that is correct, by the way. The Lions was correct. Mark Rippon was correct. Two and a half point and favorites lions over the over the commanders i've already i've put money on the lions already really mm -hmm. okay what's that mark two for two that's right that's right well unfortunately mark then we ran into problems hank greenberg hank greenberg was a hell of a guest man that's why when you said hank greenberg i'm like all right mark knows his baseball history uh actually though it was babe ruth ichiro and then steve carlton and bob welch rounding it out hang in there mark but mark I always appreciate it, man. Mark might be my favorite caller. He is. He, he's called hey, before. Give those speed drum tickets to some kids. Okay. All right. We'll we'll talk to Sam off air. And By the that. way, Mark, from now on, when you call in, your Bud Light Mark is that cool? Nah. I don't How about, like okay, Graveyard Mark. How about Graveyard Mark? <laughs> bones. Just call me Bones. Play the Undertaker bones. theme music okay. when it comes on. Bones. There we go. <laughs> That's Mark, aka Bones. Love is he it. a biker gang member, too? Bones is the name of the guy. In what movie is there a character named Bones who's a, a central figure? Not a central figure. You know? No. St Scotty said Star Trek. Isn't Bones, isn't Bones the name of the guy in The Fugitive that helps Dr. Kimball get in to look at the slides? Yes. That is Bones, that's right? A, that's an old reference Bones right there. Bones is the one guy that helps him out, right? All right, we'll come back and put a bow tie on it, I promise. It's Kevin and Corey on a Wednesday. You're listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Poor Mark still looking for a beer and a restaurant to go to. He didn't win the <laughs> didn't win the Jiffy Lube prize pack. He did get some Speedrome tickets, so there, he's got that going for him, which is nice. Putting a bow tie on this show, the Colts are currently looking for a new kicker. Rodrigo Blankenship waived by the team yesterday afternoon. Uh, Chase McLaughlin and Ru Lucas Havrasik, both in the building. We'll see which one of those guys gets the job heading into the Jaguars game on Sunday. You know, um, this news about the Indy Fuel uh -huh. and moving to Fishers, yeah. and, and I know that, and listen, I, I get it. I mean, it is, I will admit, it's, have you ever been to Denver? I have, yes. The thing about Denver that's, really pretty amazing is how much open space there is in denver which is amazing considering how fast that area has grown but if you drive in denver there are areas on the interstate that it feels like you're kind of raised above like the city and you're just out looking and you can see everything sprawling out before you and everything's new and clean and fresh there's just a vibrance about it and, and I know, I certainly understand, you know, that's what it does feel like when you go to certain parts of the suburbs, like in Hamilton County or in areas of Johnson County, obviously. 
But that area up by Fishers, I mean, I remember when Dave first and I worked together at Channel 6, and he bought a house on hundred, either 106th or 116th out near Olio. And it was, as far as I was concerned, I mean, it was like, when did you move to Massachusetts? I mean, it was the middle of nowhere. This was 20 years ago. And you go there now, and of course, it's just sprawl all around it. And that area just continues to to bustle and boom. I mean, they're going to have to widen 69 again at some point. But So I get it, and it is all really cool. I mean, it, there's a lot of great restaurants and a lot of stuff to do. And, and you know, downtown, if you want to call it that, Fishers is, is nice. So I understand all of it. Now, having said all of that, and I know this is just the natural part of progress, but having said all of that, I really, minor league hockey and the Coliseum to me just kind of seem married with one another. Like Synonymous. I, yeah. And like, I worry that, and I know that it was a different altogether animal, but when the Indianapolis ice left for a little bit and then they came back as the Indiana ice, which was, you know, junior hockey. I mean, it was 19 year old kids rising stars but but you know a different league they weren't in the chl or the you know the ihl previously for the ice but they they were playing a lot of their their games up i think at the carmel ice stadium maybe um they might have been playing in fishers at one point as well but it kind of just felt off the they like they fell off the radar and that's a different level of hockey i get it so it's not necessarily analogous here but I think it's wonderful that they're building this this complex in Fishers. The taxes, I would assume, are going to take yet another hit there. I don't know. I don't live in that county. So I'm not as in tune to that. But I do worry, Mark, and you tell me if it's just me being an old guy, which is entirely possible. But I do worry that moving to Fishers, and I know that Fishers is not, I mean, it's not like it's Lansing. But just getting out of the epicenter of the city of Indianapolis in, in a in a historic venue or a known venue, will that put them like a little more off the radar to people? It could maybe, but I think the you know the interest is going to be there initially because people want to see the new the new digs once it does open up. So I think there'll be a draw there, and there are plenty of people that live in the Fishers area and whatnot that will travel there and visit. 8,500 people per – I don't know what they average in attendance. I know what the Coliseum was 6,500, so you're asking for 2,000 more. Right. I don't know what their attendance usually I is. I mean, you'll get you'll get a spike probably in the first year or two just oh, because yeah. people want to go and see the venue, right? Yeah, and what happens to the Coliseum if there's no hockey there? Like, what what what's going to happen there with that thing? Well, that's the other thing. So the – now, let me – you know, they didn't advertise it or promote it a lot. But, for example – it's interesting with the fairgrounds because, you know, the the terrible tragedy of the stage collapse some 10 years ago, mm-hmm. 11 years ago, that limited the number of concerts that they wanted to do in terms of outdoor concerts at the main stage. So that shifted things to like the free stage for the fair and et cetera, et cetera. The all-in festival that they just had, the music festival, uh-huh. That had multiple stages. They're kind of along like the midway stretch, not midway, but the main stretch there of the fairgrounds. Hall of Oats were there. John Fogarty was there. Trampled by Turtles, who I like a lot, was there. Cage the Elephant was there. They had a lot of acts. 
And my understanding is, you know, people that went to it said it was pretty well put on. Good good music, an hour for each artist. But they didn't advertise it a lot. And my understanding is they didn't advertise it a lot because they wanted to kind of get the kinks out in the first year because this is a long-term vision. And it did include, I think, some venue in some some of the stuff inside the Coliseum. I went and saw a concert at the Coliseum like three years ago. So maybe they are shifting away from making it just like a sports, you know, a hockey arena into a multi-purpose facility. That's what it seems like. The Horizon League championships have been there. Unfortunately, the first year they did it, it was right on the literally like the week before COVID. Matter of fact, the Horizon League championship game that was, and I've got to think, it was Detroit and maybe Wright State. I think that might have been who it was. But anyway, that might have been the final game played in terms of a conference championship game, the final conference championship before COVID shut everything down. Because like two days later, the Big Ten tournament, you know, just shut down right there, and then that was the beginning of the end. But it, it was a, it's a great venue for basketball. I really, really, really would like to see IEPUI take off and have that become like an arena where the community goes, and that just hasn't happened yet. And I don't know that it will. Um, I think the Fever played a few games there this year too. They did, yeah. So, so you know, we'll see. It's interesting. I'm sure. I'm, I'm curious about the people in Fishers. What they think about that? Are they excited? Are they worried about taxes and all that stuff? But I think people probably are worried a little bit about taxes, right? Yeah, we'll if, see how much of that is publicly funded and what's privately funded. If we have time, can I pose a question that has come to mind about this? We've got time right now. Go right um, ahead. Does it? If for me, does it? Like, sorry, for me, it kind of brings on the fear of amateur sports becoming more luxury than, and this is probably the wrong antonym to use for it, but commodity. You know, like moving the hockey team to Fishers out of Indianapolis into an area where there's a lot more money, you know, does with other amateur sports in Indianapolis, does not, not raise any more fear that they would move out of here as well? But it's not an amateur sports team, though. The ECHL, which is an affiliate for the Blackhawks? That's a professional hockey okay. team. Yeah, it's a double-A affiliate. Um, but to your point, your point's a good one. I mean, exactly what – I think you raise a good point, Sam, because – does it just entertainment value in general as more and more you see more and more cities, teams wanting to get away from the epicenters of downtown into the suburban high tax areas to your point that yes, to answer your question, I think it's a concern. Yes. Now, does that mean the Colts would ever move? You know, obviously not from Lucas oil. I, I'm certainly not worried about Colts Pacers, I, right? You know, in time, years from now, could the Pacers move to an arena outside? I mean, outside the donut? Entirely possible. No, that's what the Bears are doing right now in Chicago. There's there's rumors that they're going to try to go to Arlington Heights, which is the Well, the suburbs. Bears and the, and the the Chicago is fascinating to me because Soldier Field and Wrigley have been threatening to move for years. I mean, I remember when, you know, the Cubs, before they got lights, they were going to where was the area they were going to go? Schaumburg. Mm-hmm. That was like a foregone conclusion. The Bears have been threatening that forever, right? Yeah. I mean, there's rumors back in the day that they might go to Gary, Indiana as a, as a possible location, whichever. Obviously, that fell through. But, yeah, it's looking more re- more and more realistic that they are going to go to Arlington Heights at some point and get – they bought the land. The sale's going to go through at the end of the year. So, they're pushing forward. I, what would they do with Soldier Field? 
Well, the Chicago Fire, who's their MLS team, they play games there yeah, on okay. occasion. Like I concerts. said, what would they do with Soldier Field? Exactly. So, I mean, it's similar to the Coliseum. It'll probably be a multi-purpose thing. They'll, they've still have concerts there. They've got, you know, soccer events, international soccer friendlies that go on and everything like that. So I did see um, Guns N' Roses there. Yeah. I, I saw Jay-Z and Justin Timberlake. That let me tell you one. a savvy move on the part of Jake Quarry. I bought tickets to go see Guns N' Roses at Soldier Field, 4th of July, 20, I don't know, 17 maybe. Bought them in the upper level, okay? Like, so we get to the stadium, and the upper level's closed. I'm like, what in the world? And they're like, yeah, we didn't sell enough tickets, so we moved everybody from the upper level. There's a table over there. You turn your tickets in, and they give you tickets down low. So I go, I turn my tickets in, and they're like, here you go. And they get, you know, and I got seating on the field. Mm-hmm. Okay. They were, and this was because Guns N' Roses, and I understood it. Guns N' Roses had just reunited. This when they had Buckethead on guitar. I think there the was. dude that wore the KFC bucket. No. Was that, that was probably the Chinese democracy too, yes, right? Just before. Right. This was the actual Guns oh, N' Roses. Oh, okay. That's okay. <laughs> so, I have to clarify. So I think a lot of people were hesitant to invest in tickets to see Guns N' Roses because they were assuming it was like the late arriving. Who knows what they're going to sound like? They hadn't played forever together. So when I when that happened at Chicago, at Wrigley Field or at uh, Soldier Field, two nights later they were playing at Paul Brown Stadium in Cincinnati. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go by myself. I went by my, I bought a ticket by myself in the upper level of Paul Brown Stadium. Walked in, boom, took my shot. Same thing. And they're like, here you wow. go, eighth row. Wow. And then the word got out, hey, listen, they sound really good. And then I saw them again in Toronto, Denver, Louisville, and and here. And by then, you know, they basically were selling out because people, the word got out like, yeah, they're actually taking this seriously. They're playing legitimately. They sound good. They're on time. It's great. Awesome. I've not seen Guns N' Roses yet. I would like to. The best. I mean – Listen, the advantage to it was Axl Rose knows his voice is shot, and so and he sounds a little rough. But for that reason, to give him breathers, basically, a lot of slash. There were a lot of guitar solos. It's fine by me. I was going to go see them in, not literally, I hadn't like bought tickets, but I was seriously exploring going and seeing them in Santiago, Chile. And then You're COVID gonna go happened. Twice last year. <laughs> you know where I was going to stay, don't you? Please tell the, me. The the Estadio Olimpia. Oh, right next door. <laughs> right. Really didn't take that long. <laughs> right next door, right. Where would I see your work? <laughs> I love that movie. People that's, that's very appropriate for the what the hell is Brett Favre doing here story today. That's that's a perfect movie to watch. Yeah, we'll get into that tomorrow, actually, possibly, because this thing's getting interesting with Brett Favre. Brett Favre apparently was involved in uh, some bamboozling of welfare money in the state of Mississippi. I've been to and spent a decent amount of time in the Kiln, Mississippi, which is the hometown of Brett Favre. And I actually gave Brett Favre's cousin, Webster Favre, a ride home from the bar one night. Oh, interesting. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll get into that you tomorrow. Tell me that story. Uh, so I guess we will sh- We will still have a show tomorrow, right? We will. That's All the right. plan. Uh, we'll do it tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and have a wonderful Wednesday. Back at it tomorrow. We'll talk to you then.